Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back continuing our October's Month of Horrors. And you can tell from the title we're doing something a little differently. It's not a specific title that I'm reviewing, but it is a collection of things. It's our... Uh, our favorite Halloween viewings, so it's stuff that will be media, be movies or TV specials or TV shows that we like to break out when it comes to October that really gets us in the mood for Halloween. Now, this show, I, I always have a guest with me. I can't do it alone. And this person is actually a first-time uh, co-host of this uh, show. He is a filmmaker from Utah and who has a very successful YouTube channel called The Witching Season, which is in process of finishing up their first feature film. Mr. Michael Balif, how are you doing, Michael? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. And this has been a long time coming, uh, to say the least. It has, yeah. I know we, we talked about doing this maybe like a year ago and uh, just couldn't find the right timing. I was, all, I was so busy working on this movie that for the last year I, I really didn't have a whole lot of freedom or even brain power to do something like this. So now that we're kind of wrapping up, I'm, I'm here. So, yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. You invited me on. Of course. And I, I did feel bad. I, I always thought like a little bit of a pest and just like, hey, like, would you be able to work this time? No? Okay. But, all right. I, I kind of felt like the like the, the Night of the Roxbury skit. Like, me? No? Him? Me? Him? No? No? Okay. 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 That's how I, I that's how I visualized it. I always felt a little bad pestering you like that. No, you're good, man. I, I mean, really, it was just like... This movie, like, I don't know, we can probably get into it a little bit, but like working on it for the last year has just been so kind of consuming. And, and I, you know, like now that I'm kind of able to reflect on it a little bit, I feel like I can, I can speak a little bit more openly and freely about kind of what's, what's going on, like, you know, what the movie is and stuff. So yeah, we're just in a better, a better space right now to, to do this. (laughs) Very nice. I'm sure we'll get into that and so much more. But let's jump into our favorite Halloween viewings. So let's jump into that right now. Okay, now, uh, before we get into these movies and TV specials and TV shows in general, um, when did your love for all things autumn, Halloween, and October start for you? Um, you know, it, it definitely happened when I was a little kid. Um, I think about this a lot because, like, I I created a production company called Witching Season Films, so obviously the Halloween season means something to me. Um, I, when I was a teenager, I created my own spook alley with one of my best friends. So we had like every Halloween season, we would, we would do like a haunted, we called it the haunted backyard. And we'd have, we'd, we'd bring in like a lot of friends who kind of like to work as actors and things. And we would kind of plan this thing every fall and then host this big event. And I think it really, like a lot of it comes from, from that really like, putting on these big events, having people come through, scaring the crap out of them. And then, um, yeah, just, 
I think that kind of just solidified like my love for like making spooky things and like making Halloween type stuff. So yeah, really for me, definitely like childhood. It just always stuck, you know. I got you. And I guess it's uh, for many people around our age, I guess it's a, it's a very similar story where it's something about. I mean, if you live in a place where the changing, at least in the Western Hemisphere, that around the fall, there is a changing of the season where mm. I guess seasons were used to be more clearly defined with weather wise. But um, and the idea of like, oh, we get to dress up and you get candy and you watch very spooky things. And, and if you have like older siblings or, or parents that are really into it, they, it just kind of fuels your desire to be a part of something like that. And I remember... I loved always dressing up for Halloween and I love like just the very spooky stuff. And I remember, I think it might have been kindergarten or like, eh, I think it was kindergarten where the first Halloween costume I could remember, I went as Doc Brown for Halloween. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And in fact, I had like this like little lab coat and I had this like um very itchy white wig and everything. <laughs> and I, I felt bad because I kept having to explain who Doc Brown was to people who'd never seen Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> which, of course. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like nothing against like Spider-Man or Batman. You dress them up and they, they, the, the outfit speaks for themselves. Right. Um, and there's the idea of, the before I had to get up early in the morning, the days getting shorter was cool as a kid. Now as an adult, it's not as much as fun. Like I wake up, the sun's not there. I get out of work, the sun's not there, and I'm like, oh, this the, that that stinks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's depressing. That's the most depressing part about it. And and it feels like, I mean, pretty much right after Halloween, that kind of sets in. Like there, it's to me, it's so strange how there's such a turn. Like it's probably for me because I just love Halloween so much, but like. November 1st is so drastically different than October 31st. That's just like you, we are now moving in a different direction, like instantly. Do you feel that way too? Like, does that, I don't know. Yeah. Because I don't usually start raking my leaves until November. It's usually that first weekend of after Halloween that I start raking leaves. And that's why I'm like, Oh, and everybody starts getting ready. That's when I start, like, that's when you start realizing, Oh, we got to start making plans for Christmas. And I'm like, it is, it was just Halloween a few hours ago. We're talking about Christmas and New Year's right now. It is yeah. too much too fast. Yep. It, everything turns to Christmas like instantly. November, you know, started the beginning of November and then Thanksgiving kind of gets forgotten here in the States. And I don't know. But I think like just to circle back to your, your thought about Halloween, like wearing your costume and things and like having those memories like – I think one of the big draws to Halloween is that for many of us, like as, as kids, I don't know about you, but like for me, it was one of the first events, I guess, or the first experiences in my life that really kind of excited me to do creative things. Like it made me want to make my own costumes or like I said about doing like a spook alley, we'd, we'd create that. And like, it just allows for a very creative sort of environment. And I think a lot of people, that who may not otherwise create things just sort of find that, you know, through the holiday and then they go throughout the rest of the year just kind of doing their normal day-to-day business and then Halloween comes around and they feel creative again. They carve pumpkins and it's – I don't know. I think that, that there's definitely a, a something about that, that creative side. Definitely and, and the fact that we're both uh, filmmakers and obviously – 
influence us to tell scary stories specifically. I think that we both lean in that direction. Mm-hmm. Did when did you start making your first movies, and were they kind of spooky based, or were they horror based, or what were they like to begin with? Man, um, I started. I think the very first thing I started with was I would borrow my parents' video camera and do little like stop go animations just through the tape on the camera. So I would make, and and they were really just like little skit type things where you'd have like someone sitting on like a, like a towel on the ground and then you'd press record for one second and then stop and then move them a little further. And they looked like they're zipping around on the floor mm-hmm. on a towel, like on a towel. So like the, not really movies, but just kind of like playing with video and starting to figure out kind of how that works. And then Moving into, like, my teenage years, I started getting more into, like, trying to tell stories. And um, there was a website I used to go on pretty frequently. It was called fxhome.com. And they had a – it was like a forum where um, they had, like, their own software. And I think it was called Alam DV or something like that back in the day. I think they're called HitFilm now. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, Doesn't sound familiar, but I'm curious. Yeah, so it was like this online forum community where people would use their software, and I owned it. Um, and then you would, like, they had a cinema section of the site, so users could create their own films and submit them to the cinema. This is like before YouTube, so people would like make little short films and put them up in this cinema, and they had like a review system, so other users could go in there and like rate, you know, the the project you did, and then um, like write a little review of it. So it was like a way to finally like there was like an audience all of a sudden, you know, for like your little projects. So I made some short films and put them out on there. They were like a lot of like little action things. I didn't do like a ton of like horror stuff starting out. It was mostly like action and kind of like comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but it was, it was like having an outlet like that was awesome. Then of course YouTube came along and anyone could upload their short film to YouTube and theoretically people would see it. So it kind of evolved from this website into putting his stuff out on YouTube. And yeah, I've just kind of always done it really since, since my teenage years, I'd say. Very nice. Um, I didn't like really start. And like, I remember I didn't own a video. I didn't own a video camera until like, actually I was in college, but I remember I always liked like trying to tell stories and trying to write my own stories. And I remember I had this kind of like home, like, record like a tape recorder like a kitty one but i remember i try i made a mixtape of like my favorite lines from movies and a lot of them were from like action movies and everything and i would just recite them and there was stuff like from i think it was stuff like from face off or and then it was a score from halloween that i would make a mixtape <laughs> of so it was really weird hearing john travolta and nicholas cage's voice and then just going to carpenter's score on the same tape um as, right. a, as a scattered brain, brain person as an adult i realized um huh that makes a lot of sense now thinking about it, it upon reflection. Yeah. And it wasn't like I didn't own like really start making my own shorts until like the beginning of college. And that's when I started making like one of my first shorts like was a horror movie. And it was a uh, a 48 hour horror film challenge where oh, nice. yeah, through my school days, like, all right, you have 48 hours starting like at 8 p.m. Friday night. And you had to bring it in like 8 p.m. Sunday night. Um, you had to deliver the finished product and it would be screened the following weekend. That's awesome that your school actually hosted one of those. Like, 
my school did like a film festival, but we didn't, we never did like a 48 hour thing, but that's, that's pretty unique, man. That's, that's cool. Yeah. And, and I guess I just kind of, and going from there and like, there was a, there's even like a, cause I was like specifically, they want to do it for like October and that was horror stuff. And then they did like a 36 hour one in the spring. That was more of a drama. And mm. it, was, it was curious because, um, it was like really the first thing I ever done. And, and it got a good crowd reaction. We didn't win any of the awards or anything. And I remember like the following year I did another one and the greatest compliment I ever got was that in front of me was like a parent of one, cause it was some of the teachers for judges and some of the students who were part of the film program who were not, um, didn't make movies for it, but they would be part of the judges panel. Mm-hmm. And in front of them was one of the parents of one of the, uh, student judges he turned around and looked at me. He's like, was that your short film? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, because his mind was near the end. He's like, I liked yours the most. I at least understood what the hell was going <laughs> on. And I'm like, oof, well, that's a compliment. That's awesome. Right there. Yeah. It, yeah. Because, well, I guess you, a lot of young filmmakers, it's like, like we want to be as esoteric and as experimental as possible, which is always good to, to try and find your voice. But then there's sometimes like, you're at least I try to keep the audience in mind when i'm making something so i try to make it as clear as possible yeah man and getting those responses like especially at that age like just getting any positive reactions to what you're making are so valuable like it just those memories stick with you like there was that reminds me of our film festival we did in high school i remember i think my it would have been my sophomore year the first year i was able to make something um i did make a horror short and it's funny because I took – I had like copied a bunch of sound effects and like scare chords and things from other movies and kind of used that for my score. And then I just shot like you know some crappy video or whatever to – I tried to make this this movie that was all psychological and deep and dark and stuff. But there was a kid I – I very clearly remember a kid, a student that was sitting there in the festival watching it. And he turns to one of his friends and he's like, holy crap, man, this is actually scary. And like just like that thought was like – like it stuck with me so much. And like, even though like we didn't win the festival, we, we didn't even place. Like I remember walking out of that, just feeling so pumped that like even one person just found something cool, you know, with, with what we did. So just those little victories, they just kind of keep you going, you know? Definitely. I I remember, um, one of my first, like decently made short films I made a couple years ago. We played in a festival in New York city and it was a comedy and we were the last ones to go on, and not a lot of people laughed during it. It was a very quiet screening where my movie was playing, and I just sunk a little bit further and further into my chair. And we got up and did the Q and A afterwards, and then it was like it was like after it was all done, everybody was doing like they're moseying around and meeting everybody, and I'm just kind of standing there like, well, I guess new people like to talk to me, and so I left, and I'm mm-hmm. taking a cab back to Penn Station to take the train home. And I'm just kind of pouty. I'm feeling sorry for myself a little bit. And I'm just, then I've got this edge. I'm like, no, fuck that. I'm not going to let that bother me. I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to make something and not let that deter me because there are times where you, it is kind of punishing as a creative, like the feeling like whatever you're doing in your free time is not, not uh, resonating with an audience and not, it's not getting the response you want to. And it can easily Mm -hmm. be like, deterred from doing it but i think there's that's the times you have to really persevere yeah yeah it's true it goes the other way too if you have a bad experience or you know the thing you make doesn't work out like 
that that can also be motivating to to change or to, you know like not placing in that film festival sucked but i you know it did i remember talking to my friends after i'm like guys we got to make something better for next year like we can totally do something cool and yeah it's it's hard like that's the thing with filmmaking you 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 make something and you put it out there to the world and you get reactions and it's out of your control and people are there's like always going to be someone that hates the thing you made like regardless of whether you're christopher nolan or quentin tarantino whatever like someone's going to hate it um but hopefully more people like it than hate it (laughs) i don't know yeah you can't you can't rely on like i don't know i guess like we make things for audiences right but at the same time like we, we have to make things that we care about that are like the thing that we want to create as the filmmaker, as the creator. Um, so for making it just to appease people and that's it. And I think we're, I think we're losing that fight, like regardless. Yeah. And, but also like I heard something on a podcast recently. If you, if your work's not upsetting somebody or pissing somebody off at least a little bit, or, or maybe you're not doing it right. So who knows in that regard? Yeah, um, that's true too. I mean, because I think even universal praise, I think, is a little, you can argue, be a little hyperbolic at times. Yeah, yeah. If if, if you're getting nothing but positive reactions, you have to kind of wonder, right? <laughs> but I also wonder if that's just our nature as creative people when, because we always feel, because whenever we put something out, we always just see the flaws. Oh, yeah. I mean... Every single little detail. It's because we're so close to every aspect of the thing that we made. We can we can tell every sound effect that comes in. I mean, assuming that you're you did some of the sound yourself or whatever. But you're you know, every little detail is something that you're noticing. And most people are just experiencing it as this this big thing. Like they're not they're not looking at the small minute details for the most part. So yeah, I no, I get that. I totally get that. It's you think like oh that that should have been brought up a little bit or fade out quicker or like something's in the mix or like yep. why did I choose that that um LUT to color correct this this looks terrible yada yada <laughs> yada. Yep, exactly. Like we just did a screening for our families and cast for They Live Inside Us, the movie I'm doing right now, and man, it it was that experience. It was like every single because it we were also screening an unfinished cut which is hard to do, <laughs> but we had to do it. It just, we had it scheduled and it needed to be done. And people walked out like liking it. And I was like shocked because there are so many things that I could see that I just had not quite finished yet. And it's, it's always very, uh, I don't know. It's brutal to, to have to sit there and watch your own thing with a crowd <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, uh, unless like you have like a moment where it's a blank screen with text that reads "insert giant tarantula here," I, <laughs> I think you should be okay with things not being completed for and still getting a uh, positive response from a crowd. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna judge it harder than anyone is. So I think you just need to kind of go into it with that in mind. And um, yeah, I. I I walked into that screening just feeling so miserable, thinking that no one was going to like this, and we had a really great reaction to it. So, I yeah, I don't know. I don't. I think a lot of creatives just kind of punish themselves as well. Like we're never quite satisfied with what we've done. We're we you know by the end of a project, you always feel like this could have been this, this, or this, and this is what we ended up with. And 
I, I just know so many people who make things that always kind of feel, you know, they just, it's, it's just hard to complete anything. I don't know. That's how I feel, at least. <laughs> yeah, I, I got you. I got you. I mean, I mean, it, it, at least you're humble enough to realize, like, ah, it's okay. Like, I know I could do better next time. Or you could be like my favorite uh, phrase. Uh, one of my favorite phrases from Rick and Morty when I think Morty like got like a zinger on Rick, and he's and Rick responds like, "Yeah, Morty, don't break, don't break your arm jerking yourself off there, Morty." And, <laughs> and so then there are those filmmakers out there who think they're shit does not stink and you're like okay dude um so you're just like you're yeah. you're very egotistical like that and so i'm just like all right all right i guess i'll just recount you know, who you are usually that shit does stink too you know like it's exactly like, it's like i don't know how many people that i really respect to and look up to like that are filmmakers that act that way about their like most of them i know are like Ah, uh, this, you know, I wish I could have done this or that or whatever. I don't know. There, there's just, because the thing is, like, after you finish something, hopefully you've, you've grown as a filmmaker so that this project is done. And now if you were to make something from that point on, it of course wouldn't be the same. You'd want it to be better because you just had that experience and you know everything that you did wrong and you can kind of look at it in retrospect and, you know, if you're, if you walk away, just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. You, whatever. You know, like I just, I'm weary of that. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird when people feel that way. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Now, like we had mentioned, like I know we have been very off topic here. We got into the weeds a little bit, but some of the movies that we like to watch that kind of inspired us and kind of fuels our love for Halloween, we've written down some things that we really enjoy movies, TV that, We've watched it in order to get into the mood for the season. And so I'll have you go first. What is your first uh, essential Halloween viewing? So first I have Hey Arnold. This is a TV uh, TV special. Hey Arnold's Halloween's uh, – Arnold's Halloween is what it's called. So the Halloween episode of Hey Arnold. I think it comes from season two. Uh, yeah, did you grow up watching Hey Arnold? Yeah, I did, but I'm just like – I'm trying – I'm racking my brain trying to remember this episode. So Arnold and Gerald are creating a like a radio broadcast and they're doing it to to as a prank to kind of scare the rest of the boarders in the boarding house like his grandma and grandpa and they're they're having like a Halloween party there. Yes, now so I remember creates, this. Right. <laughs> so he creates this broadcast. It's kind of it must be in, very much inspired by um War of the Worlds, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh they have like the rest of their classmates dress up as as aliens, and they come and knock on the door right as they're um, just finishing up with this broadcast. And it turns out the broadcast was broadcast throughout the entire city, so the town is kind of going crazy, thinking there's a real alien invasion. And then all of Arnold's friends are getting chased around by the community. And um, if you remember, Stinky is up on the hill, like I think he's up on some like water tower where they covered it with Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to make that look like a like a big mothership, so they fire up the the Christmas lights and it shuts off all the power in the city. So it's just like this big chaotic event. And I don't know. I just I grew up with Hey Arnold, and like Hey Arnold is one of those shows just as a whole that's just so original and unique. And like the music is always so great, and it it's beautifully animated. And it's just a show with like a very distinct uh, kind of voice. But the the Halloween special is one I'd, I'd always watch all throughout my childhood. 
up until now. I save it for October every year. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I remember, like, were they, like, they were, like, kind of, had, like, a gray skin tone, and they had, like, robes on to make them look like aliens in this? I'm trying to remember if I'm yeah, yeah. correctly. Okay. They're kind of gray, and they have, like, these big, they have these big head extensions on. Gotcha. And I... I remember as a kid, I, I think I told my mom, I'm like, I want to look like that for Halloween. She's like, <laughs> she's like, uh, this is a cartoon. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But I wanted to be an alien, but yeah, it's, yeah, that's, that's a great episode. That show is great just in general, but yeah, because there's a, I don't know if there's like a weird, like melancholy about that episode or that show in general, but it's not like super duper happy, like kind of like how SpongeBob is. It's not like that kind of high yeah. energy to it. It is, or maybe like it's just kind of subdued. Like it, it, it does have like some like a very driving forward narrative. But I think just the fact that Arnold's so laid back, it's kind of it's a relaxing kind of show you can watch. Yeah, totally. I think the creator references Arnold as like a little Buddha. He's kind of like this little chill guy, and then there's like all of his classmates and his other friends that are kind of crazy but he's the main character and like he kind of had yeah there's kind of like a, a low-key sort of i don't know just chill vibe and and the music has that as well it's like very it's kind of like hip-hoppy and like just kind of i don't know it's jim lang did the music and it's super awesome i i don't know it's it's very unique underrated too i think people don't talk about hey arnold enough nowadays no and I know they recently did that movie where they came back and kind of solved the mystery of what happened to Arnold's parents because I think the show ended on a cliffhanger. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't see the new movie. Did, did you see that? No, I, I know because I've only like of like the newer stuff for Nickelodeon that's come out recently. I've only seen the Rocker's Modern Life Netflix special. I need to watch the Invader Zim special and I need to check out the Hey Arnold movie just so I can kind of uh, get some closure on some of these TV shows here. Right. How cool is that that they're doing those now? Like, and they're bringing back the same creators too, and like the same voice artists, like those who are, you know, those who are still around, and like making like an authentic new thing. Like that's just so, it's cool. It's crazy. Definitely. I mean, the fact that like I know for the longest time, like the running joke was that um, SpongeBob was terrible because Steven Hillenburg left. And, like, after the first movie, anyway. And so there's a couple of years of, like, some people say SpongeBob was kind of intolerable. And before Steven Hellenberg, like, passed away, he came back to the show and there was an uptick in quality of episodes. Mm-hmm. And so it is nice that they were able to go back and continue shows like that. And I kind of, I, now that you, you brought this episode, I really want to rewatch it. I may have to add this to my list now. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a classic, I would say. <laughs> Definitely. And the first one on my list is the Goosebumps episode, The Haunted Mask. Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> that's a, that's one, that is one that I actually didn't make my list, but it should have. And I, I, I think I thought, of, I, I thought of it, and I'm like, ooh, i got to add that to my list. And I just, I just didn't. But that is, yes, I love that. I love that episode. Yeah. I, I mean, the fact that it's the first episode of the series – um, and really kicks it off the show. The show obviously based off the R.L. Stein books of the same name, and this is uh, an episode based on a, a story, and a story about Carly Beth, who is a a 
preteen who's afraid of everything and is made fun of the fact that she's always so afraid of being pranked upon and everybody pulling these kind of like disgusting like tricks on her. So for Halloween, she goes into this pop-up Halloween store. However, she steals or she she takes a mask that is far too gruesome compared to everything else and uses it to get revenge on everybody else who's played a prank on their on her. However, the mask is alive and they're becoming one. Such a cool idea. Such a creepy idea too. Like it's watching it now it's really it's pretty disturbing, especially for kids. <laughs> like what happens is it's pretty dark, you know. Definitely. And it is definitely the exemplaration of when it comes from a writing standpoint, want versus need. Because she mm-hmm. wants to get revenge on those who have done wrong to her, and so they think that's like, oh, I need, to, I need, I, I, I should be somebody else in order to be a bigger person and to be able to scare them. However, she just needs to find the courage into herself to not be afraid of anything, including the mask itself, and that's how she's able to overcome the mask in the uh, the long run. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then yeah, and then of course she basically becomes that monster. And one of my favorite things about that episode is the the attention to detail with like the atmosphere of Halloween. That's you're gonna find that like many of my picks are related to the just the, the atmosphere that's created within these shows and these episodes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the way that they shoot the especially like the exterior trick or treating stuff with Carly Beth running around through the neighborhood, it's like decked out with beautiful Halloween decorations and there's always like fog rolling through the background and blue lights and all that classic kind of like eighties horror imagery, even though this is a 90s show, but you know, it had that classic vibe to it. Yeah. And I, I, I'm one of those people. I think the moonlight in movies should be blue. The bluer, the better. I mean, um, blue is my favorite color. So like I, if I could live in the world of like James Cameron movies where everything is blue, I'd be happy. And so, and the, that kind of vibe in this, and you're right, how foggy it is. And I love even the layout of the the Halloween store where she gets the mask from. And all the other masks there amongst the collection that all have stories that we never really find out what's their deal is. It, it's such mystery. Like, it leaves you wanting more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the other masks are super cool too. And the the one that they use, the one that was made for the show, is is such a cool design. I've seen some people, like different independent mask makers, make their own like replicas of it, and I really want to buy one because I just I don't think they ever released like an official. No, I guess uh, I think actually Trick or Treat Studios did it an, an official mask um, for the haunted mask, but it doesn't look quite like the one in the show. It's it's, it's pretty close, but yeah, it's such a cool looking mask. Was it done like with an official license, or they changed a few things in order not to get into any copyright issues? I think that I think it's official, but I don't know if it's just replicating it exactly as it was done in the show is just too costly or something. I'm I'm not sure, but the one in the show is is so awesome. I, it's it just got like it's super original. has just has life to it, you know. I don't know. I just I I'd love to own one of those that's for dang sure and the sequel is not bad the haunted mask 2 is not bad but it is kind of the same story done again yeah 
Yeah, and I noticed they, I think they changed out one of the kids, like one of the bullies, the two lead bullies that were kind of picking on Carly Beth, and I think one of them came back for the the second one, and they switched one out, but yeah, it's, I'd say it's not quite at the same level, but it it has some good atmosphere going for it. Yeah, that's for dang sure. And so yeah, that's my first choice out of the Han Mask. Um, what is your second choice? So I have an episode of Tales from the Dark Side. It's called Trick or Treat, and it's actually the very first episode of the show. Are you familiar with that show? I've heard of it. I have not sat down and watched it, and I kind of feel bad about that. So it's on, I believe it's on Shudder, if you have Shudder. Um, and there's also like a DVD set that's out there. But it's an 80s horror anthology, kind of in the same vein as Tales from the Crypt. I'm all about anthologies. And this one was actually produced by George Romero. So he, he produced and created the show, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think he wrote this first episode. So Trick or Treat uh, is a story about there's this kind of piece of shit businessman who he he likes to claim that he counts every penny that he is is that he deserves or whatever. And um, he has like throughout the town um, IOUs on everyone, so everyone owes him money, and he keeps these IOUs in his house and he hides them somewhere it's such a like a crazy premise um but he hides these ious in his house and he invites all the parents that owe him money to come and bring their children to trick-or-treat at his house and have the kids go inside one by one and try to find these ious so as they come in he has he's kind of like a prankster um in the opening scene, he's with these like accountants who are helping him count his money. It's super <laughs> just to like establish that he's like this money hungry guy. Mm-hmm. And they talk a little bit about all these IOUs that he has. Um, and he like has like this ghoul thing that he's created pop out and like scare them. And he just laughs. So kind of trying, it seems like in the writing there to set up that that's kind of the type of guy he is. And then, yeah, these kids start coming through his house on Halloween night one by one. Um, he's got these different ghouls and things popping out and scaring the kids and they all go run off and he just laughs hysterically. And then I don't, I didn't catch why this happened. I revisited this recently. I didn't catch why it happened, but there were, there's a sudden like knock at the door and there's this like spooky old witch who is at the door and she's like saying trick or treat and laughing. And the makeup and like the look of her is so awesome. Um, she looks like kind of like the Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard of Oz, but she's like this kind of classic green-skinned, black hat uh, Halloween witch. And he's basically tormented by these ghouls that for some reason just appear, and then like the devil appears and he's taken away. So it's it's kind of like he's almost like an Ebenezer Scrooge type, but like a Halloween version of that. That's the vibe I was getting from how you're telling the story. And I'm looking at photos of it. And yeah, she is pretty creepy looking. Yeah, she's pretty cool. I, I don't know. I haven't seen anything quite like that aside from like Wizard of Oz. So. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I'm actually having uh, dealing with uh, technical issues with Shutter recently because of problems with my account that I hope to uh, get uh, resolved soon. But I do see that it's been posted online. So. I I remember George A. Romero 
producing it, but I never got a chance to watch it. I mean, of like the big anthology series from like late eighties or early nineties, I watched more of Tales from the Crypt, and okay. mm-hmm. and so because I think it's because we had HBO one. Uh, I, I think we've always had HBO since since I was a little kid, um, but. This is a series that I'd want to check out for sure, and I am definitely going to put an asterisk at this episode specifically. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt is a little more refined. It's definitely like a bigger budget show. Um, Dark Side looks low budget, and a lot of the stories are pretty simple. Like, but but they have some of them are are really good. There's like a few real good gems in that series. If you look up, like, what I did is I went and found, like, a top ten list online and just watched, like, the top ten scariest episodes, and there's some really good gems in there. All right. I'm going to make a mental note to do that right now. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, My uh, next pick is the movie uh, The Guest. Oh, yeah. I know that one, too. Yeah. Great movie. And it is done by I forget the I want to get, I want to get the filmmakers' uh, names correct. Um, Adam Wingard. Was it Adam Wingard? I believe yep. you're right. Oh yes, you were. And Wikipedia. Load. Yes, uh, directed by Adam Wingard, uh, written by Simon Barrett, and the stars both uh, Dan Stevens and I always mess up her name. Uh, Makia Monroe. Is that how you pronounce her name? It's yeah. It might be Micah. My, uh, Micah, I think. Micah. Sounds, I think that sounds. I think that's right. And who, for those who don't know, she is the lead from It Follows. And the guest is about a family dealing with the loss of their uh, son, who was in the armed forces, and uh, a friend of his from his platoon come to uh, give his kind of condolences and everything. And he's so sweet, and uh, the family. Except for the daughter, the, the sister of the dead soldier, um, everybody else is kind of smitten with him and like kind of brings him into the fold. Like, hey, you can stay with us if you want. And it's set around Halloween, and I believe it's in. It takes place in Utah, correct? I'm not sure. I don't know if they ever specify, but it's definitely like a kind of a small town sort of, you know, rural sort of in, environment. Right, and we, however, we find out that he is not who he says he is, and he's incredibly dangerous. I mean, I always say, like, before the Halloween 2018 movie, this is the kind of, like, the greatest sequel to Halloween and The Terminator at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so, like, the Terminator vibes in that movie are so apparent. Yeah, and the fact that like he that he is a super soldier and he is not somebody to be reckoned with, and the fact that he can go from he's got like a very nice smile to such a scary thousand yard stare he can give you is just very incredible, and how like he just intimidates everybody he's in the room with. Um, and I guess like the first image that really shows you how a dangerous person he is that he and the daughter. Uh, um, go to a house party and they ask him like, hey, can you uh, help us with the kegs? And he's like, all right, fine. He goes and he brings in the two kegs by himself, full. <laughs> and everybody's like, um, okay. And the, but he, and the fact that he's like, he is a, he's a built guy, but he's slender about it. He's not like, he's not like 
Dwayne the Rock Johnson, where like, yeah, like the, he seems like he has to like turn himself a certain way in order to get through doors. Like he, he's unassuming in that regard. And now this escalates into a full blown war happening in this tiny town, culminating in a haunted house in a high school. Is it's a great action movie and it's a great thriller that takes place around Halloween. And that's why I really enjoy it. Yeah, I, if you remember that one scene where he, I think he has a conversation. He's like in the house because he st- he stays with his family, and um, he's he like has a conversation with someone, and then he goes into his room and sits down on the bed and just kind of like stares at the wall for a minute, like he's just kind of powering down, you know, <laughs> and just kind of like that's such a creepy moment. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a great movie. I think it's a little bit underrated as well. It's from the guys who did Your Next, which is another movie I also really like. Um, Adam Wingard is now doing Godzilla vs. Dracula. Or not Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> Godzilla vs. Dracula would be awesome. I, I, I'd watch that too. I, I mean, I'm that, all about that. Is that a movie? No, if it's not, it should be. Um, but yeah, I, I think he, so he's moved his way all the way to, you know, from these little indie horror things up to these massive blockbusters. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy, I don't know if you're, if you saw Godzilla King of the Monsters this year or not. I didn't. Um, I, I wanted to, I just chalk it up to being too busy. I think. (laughs) Gotcha. What did you think of it? I I really enjoy it because I'm like, First off, like I am a fan of the entire franchise. Whether you go back to the first Gorgira, and then you have the first run of the series that runs from the fifties to the seventies, then you have the eighty-five or eighty-four to ninety-five, which is my favorite series of Godzilla movies and stuff afterwards. Um, it is so reverent with the entire history of Godzilla. I mean, they bring back the the original Godzilla theme and rework it into this movie. Wow. And that is just a lot of fun of just seeing giant things smash into each other. And it, it, it to- definitely appeals to that adolescent in you to see things go boom. Right. <laughs> it, it's just disappointing that it didn't perform as well as it wanted. I know Kong and God's versus Godzilla, it was shot at the same time. And the only problem is that they're, I know they're going back to do reshoots and tweaking it now in post. So I don't know what that spells for the the future of that franchise unfortunately yeah i didn't hear that i, I don't know i hope i hope it turns out you know i hope it, it all works out but and i wonder if there's any like if it's following any sort of canon from this last godzilla film like does does that movie end in a way where it seems like there's more to come yeah. are they trying to create like a universe with these or are they just kind of they seem like just kind of random i mean not I didn't realize, like you said, that, that this one had um, paid such reverence to the previous films, which is really cool to hear that they did that. I'm just curious, like, what they're what they're going for with all these movies. Right, because uh, we had the 2014 Godzilla done by Gareth Edwards before he did Rogue One. Um, and then there was Kong Skull Island, which is technically a prequel because that takes place in the 70s. However, the stinger at the end of that is teasing the future of these titans and Godzilla being amongst them. And the whole premise of Godzilla, the King of the Monsters, is that all these titans are coming about, including uh, King Ghidorah, who is challenging for the 
um, being the alpha amongst them, and that's immediately coming um, combating Godzilla for that position. Mm-hmm. And how this ends is that there are other things out there, and we know Kong is out there in the world. So it, it seems that Kong, I guess it. People have speculated it will probably be like the Batman v Superman thing. Is like they'll fight for the first two thirds of the movie, and then the third act they'll have another monster they have to team up in order to defeat. That's the speculation. Yeah, that would make sense. I just don't know how Godzilla or how Kong is going to be any match for Godzilla. I but but I you know we'll see what happens. Yeah, I I mean I did not like the 2014 Godzilla. Uh, that much. I mean, there's so there's great moments in it, and it has one of my favorite trailers of all time. But Kong Skull Island was such a fun ride, and the fact that they changed it from a 20 foot ape to a 300 foot ape um, mm. helps. Yeah, that's true. Um, and the fact and there's a really great intense scene with giant spiders, like giant arachnids that they have to deal with on Skull Island. That like giving the heebie-jeebies when I think about it. And so I, I just hope like it, it turns out well. And I hope is I hope is this franchise is not kneecapped um, prematurely because this one underperformed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I kind of get I don't know I the, these big movies like a lot of the time just kind of I just I feel like if I miss one, I need to go back and see them all and other you know to really stay uh, fully in in line with, I guess, what's just what's going on. So it, I don't know. It's, it's, a, I had, I'm a little fatigued by some of these giant movies, to be honest. That's fair. And it's very understandable. I mean, like you think of Avengers Endgame, that, that whole premise is predicated on the fact that it's, t- it's 11 year journey to this point there. And yeah. a friend of mine is like, um, like, can I see that kind of like jump into that? I'm like, no, no. Like, I mean, I'd have to, <laughs> I have to create like a, short list for you to watch in order to do that that is the downside of serial storytelling that you need to see parts one through z in order to get to this point here and the fact that marvel is now going to have these disney plus shows which are are presumably going to connect to the movies so now you have i guess more homework you have to cover in order to keep up with the movies i don't i just hope they don't bite off more they can chew there yeah, man, moving movies connecting to TV shows now and like is that has that ever happened before? I'm trying to think of any examples where you've got a show that carries on the story of like a a past movie. I I've seen I'm the, sure they exist, but I, I know the reverse of a movie carrying on from a TV show, like I think of Serenity. Oh, right, yeah. But that was a standalone thing and the fact that it was only one season and I guess that's just the Whedon's uh, wizardry that he's able to set up everybody's kind of characterization in like that first five minutes of them on the the um, the ship itself. And so, because I saw that movie before I saw the TV show and I got it. And so, but a 23 movie franchise now TV show is going to be connected. So, and the fact you don't have Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. in there, like, um, let's see how the box office kind of, I'm not saying like, oh, I hope they fail or anything. I'm just like, pawing, I can't wait that happens. No, I just hope it doesn't end up being one of the situations there that they start to lose a good part of the audience because there's so much homework going in. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that starts to happen, but 
we're in an we're in an era now where there's just so much content and so much content being consumed that it I don't know. We'll see if it's sustainable or not, you know. Definitely. But um what was what is your next uh, essential Halloween viewing? So next up I have The Adventures of Pete and Pete, which is an old Nickelodeon TV uh show and the episode Halloweeny. Um Halloweeny is about have you so I guess first did you are you familiar with that show? Did you Yes. Watch that much? Yeah, um, a lot of the things that like my sisters were into because they were older than me, I I got like because I experienced a lot of, through them and like them being fans of it. That's why I can name a lot of, the, of early '90s TV shows and, and jokes from there. And that's how I can, even though I was young, I can understand um, references to the Backstreet Boys and In Sync and everything. And Pete <sighs> and Pete falls in that category. Yep, for sure. Yeah, it's. It's another kind of underrated show, I think. It's it's such a weirdly unique sh- series. I don't. I, there's really nothing like it. But it just so encompasses the '90s to me. It's like it's the most '90s show. I mean, there's so many other great '90s shows, but this one to me just really sums up what it felt like as a kid in the '90s. And um, the Halloweeny episode. So in, in Pete and Pete, there are two brothers. They're both named Pete and Pete. Um, the uh, youngest brother is uh, him and his his girlfriend, a girl, girly friend, um, are going to go trick or treating to the most. They're going to set the record for the most houses trick or treated um, that night. And there's like a group of uh, I think they call them the Pumpkin Killers who are going around. Kind of for some reason, there's this group that's trying to decimate the the Halloween spirit and stop people from trick-or-treating and it's just like these bully kids who wear actual pumpkins on their heads and ride around on bikes and they smash pumpkins <laughs> and um little pete and his friend his friend ends up um being told that she can't go out that night because it's too dangerous because of these pumpkin killers um causing mischief so Little Pete um, is left alone, and his older brother, Big Pete, decides he'll go with him, even though Big Pete is saying that he is he's a little older and he's feeling like there's kind of like this temptation for him to go to the other side of like not having Halloween spirit. So it's a it's a sh- episode that's very much about um, Halloween spirit and embracing the holiday and just just enjoying it. And he's kind of on the fence. He decides to go with him. So they go out. They hit the houses. And they're working towards that goal of the most houses trick-or-treated at that one night. And, of course, the pumpkin killers catch up to them. And, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. But that's where we <laughs> that's where we go. So it's great, a great episode. Lots of great atmosphere. Um, and just it's just a great classic show. So... Highly recommend Pete and Pete for those who haven't delved in. I guess the I guess this gang you could say are really into smashing pumpkins. Yeah, they smash pumpkins. They they like they egg houses. They toilet paper things. They're kind of like just the mischievous side of Halloween, up against more of the traditional "let's go trick or treating, get candy" kind of side of things. So. Which reminds me of one Halloween where I was literally like Harrison Ford in The Fugitive because I was chased down by 
several different groups of kids trying to egg me. Oh man! Yeah, and that was, and I spent most of the that evening in the prone position in a, in a stranger's yard, hoping not to be found by these people. And like it, you just described this episode, I just had like like flashbacks to that. And I'm like, oh my god, I, I know how that feels. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, that's like that's like exactly what happened. So that's pretty crazy. I never had anything like that happen to me around around here, but there were there definitely was a lot of mischief going on. There were, you know, kids going around smashing pumpkins. My pumpkin got smashed before um I might have smashed some pumpkins myself <laughs> at some point when I was a little older, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's I don't know. It's just that that show just has such again, just great atmosphere great vibes it's so it feels like it's told from the perspective of a kid like it feels like a kid wrote the show and it's just so wacky and crazy and um the fact that these bully kids like wear actual pumpkin like jack-o'-lanterns on their heads as they're like riding their bikes around just makes it that much more awesome yeah and it's a very uniquely it's a very stylized show for sure yeah and all the episodes are, I guess, incredibly unique in that regard because, like, you have possibly the greatest um, addition to children's TV, already the strongest man in the world. <laughs> I mean, a person yeah. who will get into a fight with a bowling ball. I mean, <laughs> uh, I still say he, he deserves a rematch against Michael Myers in, the, in Halloween. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not oh, bitter yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> um, um, I love that he's in that. I, I forget about that, but I and I didn't know that. Like when I first saw it, I forgot. I didn't recognize him, but I had to look that up after. And that was that's such a great uh, surprise. Oh, for sure. And I, I remember I told it to my sister, and like she had not seen the movie, and she's like, "So what? Already to get into like they have a huge brawl? I'm like, nah, he gets garroted with a wind chime. It's a, he he got sucker punched. That's all I'm saying. He didn't have a yeah. fair fight. And I was going to his defense in that regard, and she's like, "Uh huh, I'm sure." And I'm like, "You weren't there, man. You didn't see what happened." <laughs> um, and I like I remember seeing this episode. I think maybe once. It was not one that you see in heavy rotation. I mean, obviously they would put that on around Halloween, but and because like the the episode that first comes to mind when I think of Adventures of Pete and Pete, it's when they have a giant ear on stage, and mm-hmm. like I guess it was like I guess it's about like a, it was a health um, assembly to like clean out your ears and then they have this person who's like has got this giant q-tip for just such an occasion i think little pete hooked up a hose that had like filled with earwax and so when they cleaned the ear they just got covered in pounds and pounds of what was supposed to be earwax and it was this doctor and i think and the uh the principal as well okay yeah i don't know if i saw that one but that sound i mean that's that's pete and pete for you like that's what that's what it is <laughs> There, there are so many good episodes of that show. I think the very first one is the the King of the Road episode, um, where the family is going out on a like a just a family vacation road trip, and um, the dad is like very um, proud of his ability to drive and like make deadlines, um, make good time, and and things. And then they kind of come up against this this. Uh, this other family who is traveling to the same place and this other family is beating them on their, it's like, like the, a premise like that is so bizarre, but, um, 
that's what I love about the show. It's just so strange and, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's just unique, you know. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure. And the mom in that situation is like, "No, we can. We'll get there when we get there." And it's not doing. It's is making the father angrier because he's so rigid in trying to hit his deadlines and everything. Yep. yep and they they stop for lunch, and he doesn't want to stop. And and it that really did feel like how it was kind of growing up and going on road trips. Like it just captures like an authenticity to the simple times the 90s that's for that's for dang sure so yeah adventures of pete and pete halloween e um my next choices of um of essential halloween viewing is disney's the legend of sleepy hollow so that is actually i'll just so when we have the same one um so that is that's my number one so i'll just we can both just talk about it i guess if you'd like um yeah, of course. My, yeah, yeah. So that's the best. Uh, yeah, go for it. It's your it's your pick. So um, I remember reading the story by Washington Irving first before I saw this um, because I remember I got these series of books called Illustrated Classics. Where yep, I remember those? Where they were just like, um, a, I guess a bridge version of famous stories for children. I mean, like you would see like. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, War of the Worlds, and the Legends. And I remember the Legend of Sleepy Hollow came with um, Rip Van Winkle. It was two stories in this one book because both stories are, are very short. And hearing about Ichabod Crane and him being a, a very superstitious person and like his fateful ride trying to cross the bridge at the end. And in Disney's Legend of Sleepy Hollow, it's so curious because post-war Disney was kind of a tough time for Disney as it becomes for their feature animation. This is what they were called during the package area where you'd have several stories linked to the one because if you want to watch this, you have to find Disney's The Adventure of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And the first story being the Wind of the Willows and of the story of the same name. But the second story is the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And to see the Ichabod Crane, the very tall and lanky gentleman, and him being so ferocious in his appetite of anything that's around him. And he's, the fact that he is like doesn't have a care in the world and it, 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 just, it irks Brom to the point that he, he tries to get him like just to stop him at any turn and then telling him the story of the headless horse band and the, and the song that goes with it and the chase. It doesn't hurt the fact that sleepy hollow is not too far from me and I still have gotten, not gone there and I'm kind of disappointed in myself. I hope to rectify that very soon. I really want to go like I, my wife and I are, are planning a trip there at some point. We're probably going to hit Salem and then go to sleepy hollow. Uh, that's like the dream vacation for us, but yeah, that and that chase through the woods is like so intense. Like even if you watch it now, like the music is so booming and and it just like it has like a great gradual build to it as Ichabod's kind of quietly going through the woods and hearing all these spooky sounds. He starts hearing his voice, uh, like he hears like a crow caw his name, and there are like toads and things making weird sounds, and it just has this great build up to that big chase and. The animation is like incredible. Like, was I think that was made in the 40s, right? Uh, yeah, in 1949. Like, that's 
that's amazing. When you look at that now, it's like it's it's just so wild to think that people in the 40s watched that and like it still holds up like all the songs are great you've got uh bean crosby narrating it he sings all the songs i believe uh yes um, yeah great and and i remember um well let me ask you when did you first discover that oh uh, show? it might have been like when i was around nine or ten i'm pretty sure it was a tape that maybe even my cousins or my nana and granddad had, and it was one of those things when I would go visit them in upstate New York, or very, not that far in New York. They were like maybe about like an hour and a half north from here, so you're just out of the city, and you're like, if for those who are locals, past the Palisades Mall, it's a little bit north of Nyack, and so it's not that far from New York City, but it's still technically considered north uh it's in upstate new york and it was just like one of those traditions to watch that movie and but what about you when did you first see it well that must be close to close to sleepy hollow then right if you're going up north i don't know new york well at all but um uh let me like, sleepy hollow is upstate new york right yes it is you're, let me i'm gonna look this up right now to see how far it is from from one to another to Huh. Yeah, I'm just curious because you have such a unique – I mean for you experiencing that story where it's set basically right where you are. I mean, you know, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean Pearl River is the town that they would uh, – that my grandparents lived in and the distance between Pearl River to Sleepy Hollow is – about a half an hour drive. Oh wow, yeah, right there. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, exactly. And so, to answer your question, I I remember watching it. I'm curious if your school showed it to you because that's where I think I first saw it in elementary school. Um, on Halloween, they would always get us together, all the kids, and we'd we'd watch. Um, I remember once we watched the Disney Halloween treat, and then um, we which is like a Disney special where they had like all these different Disney cartoons kind of compiled together into this, you know, this, this, um, like hour long special or whatever. Um, but then we'd watch sleepy hollow and yeah, legend of sleepy hollow just always stuck with me for some reason. And I, I rented the VHS tape from our local library, like all the time. And I just watch it throughout the year. So that's why I picked it as my number one. Cause it's just, just for me, just, I don't know, just sums up Halloween, all the songs, the, the, the fall setting and the vibe and everything in that, in that cartoon. And the legend of the, the, the headless horseman is, is just such a unique and, you know, kind of iconic character. Definitely. And one of my favorite moments is when it's during the chase where Ichabod finds himself on the headless horseman's horse and he looks down what would be, I guess, the, the neck of the horseman, and like his whole face, like goes, like dives into like the lapels of the horseman. And he just hears the laugh, and like that's what oh, yeah. projects his. He like juts his head away from it, and in, in fear, and even like the reveal of the horseman, where it's like him on top of the hill. He's got the horse. He's got the jack o' lantern in one hand and the sword in the other. Like, oh, it is classic Disney animation, and I think it was a turning point for the studio because you had um, a, a 
pretty much from the 1940s, from Bambi in 1942, it was all package films. He has Saludo Amigos, The Three Caballeros, Make uh, Make My Music, Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, and then finally Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Tone, Mr. Toad, where it was all we have a bunch of shorts like strung together. Um, and it wasn't until the following year, Cinderella in 1950, when they got back to doing feature length animated movies so i think this was a nice tee up to that era of disney movies and i think you compare this to things like melody time and fun and fantasy free there is a jump up in animation quality and i think they're Mm -hmm. not saying there's no effort put into those previous package films but i think like there's so much attention to detail and love in this that you you it's it permeates the the animated short yeah, and I didn't real. I never understood why. Um, is it the Wind in the Willows? Is always is that what it is? That's with it. Uh, yes. I never understood why those were paired together, but that makes sense that they would package them together, um, in that way. And I didn't actually realize that this was before they had made any features. Uh, so Snow White was the first feature they did, right? Yes. Okay. So the first feature was Snow White and Seven Dwarfs in 1937. Okay, so that would have been before. Yeah, it was during the war in World War Two. That's where, um, as well as the fact that that um, they really hadn't had that many big successes. I mean, like Snow White and Seven Dwarfs was a groundbreaker in both just as a technical achievement and box office wise. And Pinocchio didn't make as much money. Fantasia lost a lot of money. Dumbo did okay. I think Bambi was fine at the box office. So it was a mixture of the fact that they paired up with the War Department to kind of make some kind of propaganda films. And like the reason why Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros came about is in order to bolster the relationship between North America and South America so they wouldn't fall to the... I guess the the will of the the Axis uh, armies during World War II, and so it was kind of helped to keep relationships together. And with these package films during the 1940s, and since the Walt Disney in general wasn't making that much money, but it wasn't until this, and then finally Cinderella, where they got back to doing um, feature length animated movies. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what would they have done post uh, Sleepy Hollow? So, uh, right now, I have a list right here. It's uh, Cinderella in 1950. Cinderella, okay. And Alice in Wonderland, 51. Uh, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty. Um, that's that's the rest of the 1950s. And after that, it's all features wow. after that. So ahead of their time with all that stuff. It's, it's really inspiring. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and I think if you want like a good animated movie that's also you can say it a horror movie you watch pinocchio around halloween that is it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's not a halloween theme but it is a scary movie even to this day yep i remember that freaking me out when i was a little kid and uh probably would still freak it's been such a while since i've seen it but probably would still uh freak me out to this day yeah i, I mean i don't make money from saying Disney Plus, but if they want to sponsor the show, I'll I'll push Disney Plus if they want to pay for it and everything, and I'll say, yeah, get Disney Plus. You get all the animated features on there, by all means. But um, there you go. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about specifically about Legends of Sleepy Hollow? Um, no, nah, I, th- I mean, I, it's just one of those ones that 
just just always stuck with me for whatever reason. I remember watching it in elementary school, and I, I must have wore that VHS tape out. I seriously had it out from the library, like, at all times. So, no, but, yeah, it's just if, if you haven't seen The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the cartoon, for some reason, you've, you've got to, I mean, crawl out of the whatever rock you're living under and just go watch it. I mean, there's nothing. There, there's probably nothing better, in my opinion, for the Halloween season than that. That's for dang sure. Um, all right, my next uh, is a movie. It is um, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. Nice, good choice. Now, I don't have that on mine, but I love that movie. Yeah, and now of course, Halloween the original is. One of my all-time favorite movies is my number three. It's my favorite horror movie. I'm just going to put that as a list. Like, okay, we're just going to take that out of the rotation like because I will always watch that. Like, you'd ask me like 365 days a year, like, yo, you want to watch Halloween? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I didn't think it would be fair to have it on this list. And I kind of racked my brain. because like, all right, what other ones in the franchise that could be used to really qualify? And I think – as much as I love the opening to Halloween four and like just that, that moody opening of the farmland, I mm-hmm. think Halloween three as a whole has so much Halloween vibes going through it. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. got, I mean, if I were to rank the Halloween movies, um, I would probably put, of course, you know, probably the original and then it would probably be four or three next. Um, I didn't include three just because I, I avoided any Halloween movies on this particular list, but I really wish it was just called Season of the Witch because I think it would just I think it would function as a better movie for for most people. It's just that that mentality of believing that this is a Halloween movie with Michael Myers just I think just kind of screws with people, you know. Um, but and what a cool title, Season of the Witch! That would have just made such a cool movie title. Definitely, and I think the only reason it was thrown on there for a marquee value so people would go and see it, and the idea for – because they believed they had told the story of Michael, Mar- Michael Myers done with the two movies, and they said, like, okay, we can release an anthology movie. We just call it Halloween, and it'll be a new story, like, every year going forward, and so this idea of a – a corporate magnet who's giving out the who's selling these trick masks, or like, I don't want to say you would call them haunted masks or anything. That if the wearer of these masks um, hears this particular jingle at a certain time, the mask disintegrates the the wearer of it, and the which is such a bizarre concept here, and yeah. the. Connell Cochran, played by Dan O'Hillary, um, whose idea is to take Halloween back to its pagan roots of that on and the the festival of Samhain that the the hills of Ireland would run red with the blood of sacrifices and the idea of sacrificing children in order to appease a pagan god is freaky. But using Stonehenge in order to do that, I mean. That A, that is very rock and roll, and that is very horror-like. And the fact that Dan or Hillary plays a the same kind of character in three different franchises, because he obviously plays it here. He plays the old man in Robocop 1 and 2. <laughs> and 
even an episode of the Batman the Animated Series where he busts Mr. Freeze out of the asylum at one point to make him an immortal, he plays like an evil Walt Disney in that that episode. And so... I didn't I, know that. Yeah, it, it's a very strange thing. I like As a kid, I never put it together that he was supposed to be Walt Disney until a friend of mine pointed that out. I'm like, oh my god, it is just an evil Walt Disney voiced by the old man from RoboCop? That's amazing. Right. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah, and the fact... Uh, this might be my favorite John Carpenter score. Yeah, yeah, the score for Halloween 3 is just awesome. All the the building especially through that like opening scene where you got the guy running away through that like old whatever it is like a auto body shop or whatever it is. Um and just yeah, it's just it's just got a great score and then of course the the main happy happy Halloween theme that comes in which is London Bridge is falling down. I don't know if you noticed that. I, mm-hmm. I didn't pick up on that for a while. I was like, oh, of course, that's what it is. And I guess apparently the director, um, Tommy Lee Wallace, just came up with that himself. And he's the voice saying, you know, get ready for the big giveaway at nine. Like, that's the director's voice. Um, kind of kind of cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's something I found out years later. And I'm like, and I've listen to him in interviews, so I kind of like facepalm. I'm like, duh, of course that's him. Why didn't I pick him up that earlier? Who also directed the It miniseries from the 90s, which I love. Not Halloween-related, but um, Tom, Tommy, Lee, Tommy Lee Wallace is an interesting director. And he also um, did the production design for the first Halloween film, and he designed the Michael Myers mask. I understand that that was his... Uh, his task for the first film. So he's, I mean, the look of Michael Myers is essentially because of the director of Halloween three, right? Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. It's pretty strange. And the fact, yeah, cause like it was a William Shatner mask that was sp- sprayed white or like fish belly white. And those sideburns mm-hmm. moves along with like the eyebrows. And whenever the shape had to break something, that's Tommy Lee Wallace in the costume. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know he actually played the shape. Yeah, in order, like, because I think it would just be easier so he knew, like, where to, like, if I'm going to be breaking down this door, this is where I'm going to dummy it. And so when Lori's chased in the um, Wallace house when she's trapped in the kitchen, Myers punches punches his hand through the door and chases after her. And then when he's coming through the the closet, that's Tommy Lee Wallace in the costume. Okay, that's awesome. Makes sense. That's that's cool, though. Yeah, and I know like this this movie has become kind of a cult classic over the years, and I think it doesn't it doesn't hurt the fact that we have Tom Atkins as the lead, and and who's kind of a cult figure in horror circles anywhere anyway, because you think of like him him and this and Night of the, Night Creeps. Of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps is so dope. Uh, and I love that movie. And I didn't see that until a couple years ago, and I feel like I kicked myself, like, why haven't I discovered this earlier? Oh, my gosh. It's, like, such an 80s horror movie. It's so great. The the black and white opening with the escaped killer is just super awesome. I mean, the, the zombie stuff they have going on, the little slug creatures, all the practical effects, and, like, yeah, it's just a... That's, that's a, another classic movie. Yeah, and I know... A lot of people say, like, Halloween sucks because it doesn't have Michael Myers in it, and the fact that they kind of trolled the audience with the fact that, like, they're watching Halloween within Halloween. Yeah, okay, I get it. Um, 
and I and the third act can be a little limp because I think it goes on a little bit too long. But it it has a, such a powerful ending with Tom Atkins trying to prevent the broadcast from going out and him just pulling like an invasion of the body snatchers, him screaming in the camera, stop it, stop it, over and over, and his voice mm-hmm. echoes. I mean, that's such a gut punch to the end of the movie on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's one of those ones that I think I think pissed people off back in the day because Michael Myers wasn't in the movie, of course. But and that's why I think I don't know if they had just I get it like the whole anthology thing where they kind of wanted each Halloween movie. And, and I would have loved that if they but it just feels like after Halloween two to try to retroactively go back and revive John Carpenter's original idea to, you know, make each one of these movies a new original Halloween tale. Um, I don't know. It just kind of sets it sets the movie up, I think, for people to dislike it. But nowadays, it seems like it's got it's found sort of a another you know resurgence of people that appreciate it and appreciate the the kind of absurd plot and just all the craziness within it. And and the three masks that they had made are just now iconic. Like I'm looking at a a print on my wall of those three masks and. They just it just sum they sum up Halloween, you know. Exactly, and the fact that like this threat takes place throughout the entire United States, and like mm-hmm. we see kids wearing the mask all over the all over the country. I'm sure it's all shot in California, and we just put those title cards up to make it look like it's taking place in different cities and etc. But Dean Cundy's photography is fantastic in this, and. Th- the cool blue and the warm amber is just like chef's kiss right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it feels like Midwest, you know, like they did a really great job making it feel like we're not, we're not just in sunny California, the whole movie. So yeah, that's, that's another one. It's got great atmosphere. Just feels like fall, even though I don't know if you see a single fall tree in that movie. (laughs) You might, I don't remember, but yeah, it's got a good atmosphere to it. Definitely. And what is your next choice? So next up, I have kind of a nostalgia choice here. And I chose Halloween Town, the Disney Channel original movie. And as a kind of just to lump these two together, Halloween Town 2 as well. Um, Halloween Town. So I grew up with this movie. Um, have you seen this one? Yes, I've seen one and two. I've not seen the ones after that. Okay, yeah, same here. I never saw any past two. I think by that point, I think the next one was like Halloween Town High, and I was I was at a point where I was a little too old for them. I think at that point, mm-hmm. but I grew up with these. I watched them all the time. Um, the general plot is it's about uh, Marnie, who is a witch without realizing it. Her family, the Cromwell witches, are a sort of notorious witch family from this town known as Halloween town, which is basically a town in in another like world or dimension. So Marnie um, lives in the real world and her grandma comes to visit every Halloween and the movie opens with her grandma coming to visit. Um, Her grandma uh, begins to hint that Marnie needs to begin her training to become a witch. Otherwise it'll be too late for that to happen. And Marnie's mom does not want this to happen. She's kind of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Marnie's mom in that movie is like the most unlikable character. They like just, they just made 
they had to have someone opposing this idea. And it's like, I don't know. I, I can't remember why she was so opposed to Marnie becoming a witch. I think like there's like some bad juju history with like her, maybe her. I guess, so Marnie's dad, I think, passed away. I don't know if they really clearly. No, I think they do state that at some point in the movie. But yeah, I, I, vaguely I remember that. <laughs> so Marnie sneaks out Halloween night and follows her grandma back to Halloween Town, and turns out so do her brother and her sister. So they return to they they come back to Halloween Town, and they um, Marnie kind of softly begins her training, and then there's this. <laughs> it's like it's weird for me to even describe the plot because this is just like a silly kind of cheeseball movie that I throw on every now and then. My wife and I like to watch it around Halloween time. Um, but the, my favorite thing about it is all the creature effects and like all the, the monsters that they created practically in the town of Halloween Town. There's like all these awesome, uh, you know, trolls and ghosts and werewolves walking around, all done practically in real time. You can see them and, uh, and then, yeah, there's this guy, Calabar, who's this, like, evil warlock who is sucking, like, the lifeblood out of residents of Halloween Town. And, of course, there's some big overarching goal he has to, like, take over the mortal world where Marnie's from. So she has to step in and help. But Marnie's, like, the most kind of unsuccessful character. Like, her little sister, Sophie, ends up doing everything um a value to push the plot forward. <laughs> like she, I think there's a, there's a spell that they need to recite and, uh, Marnie keeps trying fails. And then her little sister just, and you know, I guess she's, she's also a witch. Um, and she's kind of like naturally moving towards that because she's growing up and just kind of, there's like a scene in the opening where she makes a cookie levitate and it kind of flies towards her or whatever. But so she seems to be kind of a more competent witch, her little sister. But anyway, she recites this spell and it moves the plot forward to the next point. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of a good fun time. I remember I was watching this one and again, great atmosphere, great, great Halloween vibes. Yeah. And the fact that Debbie Reynolds plays the grandmother and that's right. She's so sweet in this. And I think it's the first time I realized, like, oh, that's both a the voice of Charlotte from Charlotte's Web, and b that's Carrie Fisher's mother. That she's the mother of Princess Leia. And so it was really kind of an eye-opening experience. Like, oh my god, I can't believe! Wow. And you're right. Yeah. It, it does have such great atmosphere. I remember what was it. Benny was the skeleton cab driver in that. Right. And he's like a real animatronic skeleton character, right? So no digital effects and he fully articulates and speaks and like, you just don't see that anymore, you know? No. And this was, was kind of during the time when Disney did an annual Halloween movie, whether it be this or obviously the Halloween two, but then I think was Phantom of the Multiplex Disney Channel as well? Yeah. Yeah, that was another one. Um, There's another... Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire was another one I always watched over and over again as a kid. Mm -hmm. That one actually has... I was going to put that on the list, but it's not necessarily a Halloween 
I don't know if it'd be considered a Halloween movie. It is kind of set around Halloween time. And there is one scene where the kids go to a grocery store and it's very apparently decorated for Halloween. And I just love that, like that, the feeling of that scene just always reminded me of, of as a kid going to the grocery store and what that felt like, like with my mom, I'd go with her and, um, how they'd kind of decorate the store up and, um, yeah, there, some of those old original Disney Channel original kind of scary movies were were pretty fun. That's for dang sure. And I, like, I hope there's, you can track them down on DVD somewhere or not. I don't know if you can find them on eBay or what have you. I know they're on um, Amazon Prime. Not Prime, but on the like the Amazon streaming. So you have to like pay to rent them or buy them. But... I think some of them had DVD releases. Like I know Halloween Town and Halloween Town Two come in like a DVD combo, and I have that one. Um, but like Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire, I don't believe that one was ever released in physical form. So it's cool that that you know streaming platforms like Amazon have access to those. And I imagine again, I bet Disney Plus will <laughs> will probably have some of these. So. I don't know. If we just keep coming back to that, I don't know why, yeah. but it just it just give them a call, to, Tim. I, they, they, they... <laughs> like it, it, it's kind of like that joke from The Simpsons. Like I, for one, welcome our new alien overlords. I like I, for one, welcome our new <laughs> Disney overlords. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else you want to speak about Halloween Town? I think that's it. The second one's good too. Um, like these are definitely for kids, like a younger crowd. So if you have kids, or I'm I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are kind of familiar with these. If they're around, you know, if you're in your 20s or your late 20s, you're probably familiar with these movies. So they're they're worth a they're they're just kind of a fun nostalgia trip to go back and watch them. Definitely, like if you're decorating up your pumpkin or like you're carving it, something you can put on the background and it's give a nice vibe to it. And it does make me jealous because ever since seeing. Halloween Town having the giant jack-o'-lantern in, like, the center of town. Like, that's something I oh, yeah. wish that, like, every town should have because it just looks so cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be – that would be awesome. And the, the and it's, it's like a real – again, practical effects. It's a big, real pumpkin they put there. Super cool. Nice, nice. Um, huh. Speaking of things that Disney owns now um, – the Simpsons, uh, since I brought them up now, that uh, they've always had this. The Treehouse of Horror has always been a soft spot for me. Even though I was not the biggest Simpsons fan growing up, I, it's more recent years that I've gotten more and more into the series. Um, and there's so many great segments of Treehouse of Horror. But if I was going to pick one, it would be uh, The Shinning. <laughs> And obviously a parody of Stephen King's The Shining, but it's more akin to the Kubrick film. And it is, oh my, how would I just, it has possibly one of my favorite gags of any of, of all Simpsons where that the fact that the reason why Homer Simpson is Treehouse of Horror 5, by the way, I, I forgot to mention that, but the reason why I enjoyed it so much is because of so Homer Simpson is being Jack Torrance in this in this story, and the fact that no beer drives him crazy to try and kill his family, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the fact that like when he's like when Marge pulls a bat on him and he's like, "Give me the bat, Marge! Give me the bat! Give me the bat!" 
he looked crazy. He sees himself in the mirror and he scares himself. Pretty good Homer. Thank, pretty- <laughs> I, thank you. I, I try. I mean, there's only a few lines I can do it. It's also the same thing if I want to impersonate Stewie from Family Guy. I can only do a few lines like, like, aren't you a little old to be wearing braces or something like that? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, and but the, I think one of my favorite jokes in the entire series, regardless of Treehouse of Horror, is when he's he's doing the the classic here's Johnny moment, but just the fact he's in a hotel, he goes to the wrong room first. He's like, here's Johnny. Nobody's in the room. It's He's like, right. no. He's like, <laughs> so, and since that's supposed to be making fun of Johnny Carson, he does different t- late night TV intros. So he breaks in another door. David Letterman. And it's just grandpa right. and grandpa. They're like, hi, hi, David. I'm grandpa. Doe. And finally, he breaks down a door, and he does the whole intro to 60 Minutes. And it's like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm Mike Wallace. All this and more with 60 Minutes. And how he looks so deranged when he delivers that line. I mean, I am in stitches every single time I watch it. And the fact that in this Treehouse of Horror, um, Groundskeeper Willie dies in every segment despite the, his best efforts to try and stop things. And he's supposed <laughs> to be the... Um, um. Oh man, I, I forget the gentleman's name—the one who does die in *The Shining*. Oh. Mm, um, the character name. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to think as well. Scatman Crothers. That's the actor's yes, name. Yes, that's the actor. Yeah. He 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 comes in. He's like, "I'll save you, laddies," and he gets the axe to him. Oh, and right, such. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen that one. Um, but I, I'm I'm familiar. Like as you're speaking through it, like I'm remembering all of those moments and such a great episode. Like all of the Treehouse of Horror episodes are just, I mean, not all. I guess maybe not all of them, but like the first, what, like the first ten maybe, are like pretty pretty great. There's some really great gags. Like I just I watch like the first couple a lot, a lot more often. Um, but they're classic. Treehouse of Horror is just that should be a staple on everyone's, you know, Halloween watch list. Definitely. I mean, you could argue like the first ten seasons. Of the Simpsons are classic. I mean, you could you could be very pedantic and say the show died when Principal Skinner turns out to be not to be Principal Skinner with uh, he's Armin Centarian and everything. But like, okay, I I get that, and it's all downhill from there. But I think the first ten seasons are really solid, and I forget which Treehouse of Horror it is, but it's actually the one where it's, I think it's Treehouse Seven or Eight where. Mm-hmm. Homer ends up like going through multiple dimensions and he ends up, that's when he becomes 3d at one point. Oh uh, yes. I remember that. Yeah. And it is some of the famous funniest lines from Patty and Selma when he disappears at one point and he's like, and he's like, huh? He disappeared in the fat air. <laughs> and they just both make a fun of Homer not being there at that moment. Um, yeah. So you're right. I think Treehouse of Heart should be on everybody's uh, watch list around this time of year. And I think at the very end of that 3D episode, he goes walking into, like, the real world. He, like, walks down the street, which is, like, I don't know if they'd ever done that in The Simpsons before. And with, like, that pretty crude old, you know, 3D animation they did. But that that's definitely a memorable one. Um, yeah, and, and my, I don't know, the thing that always sticks out to me with those is the intros to each Treehouse of Horror episode and how you have... I think they stopped doing this down the road, but you'd have all of the the names of the uh, the crew and the cast and everything are like um, fiction, kind of like spooky, spookified. They have like you know extra 
uh, sort of Halloween words tied into their names and stuff. And I thought that was always pretty cool. The animation and that stuff is always super, you know, Halloweeny and atmospheric. You have the lightning and the the big uh, Simpsons theme done through like the theremin type score, which is always awesome. Yeah, those are those are just great. Yeah, and for those who want to, it's Treehouse Horror of Six, and Homer 3D is the uh, Homer Cubed, I should say. Homer the Third, <laughs> that's the name of the segment we're speaking about. Um, yeah, so that, oh, what were you going to say? Uh, yeah, no, just, I need to go rewatch those again. They're just, yeah, just classic Halloween viewing right there, so. Yeah, and I love, like, like you were saying, but the fact that they always have the, the joke names of the creators of like on gravestones and like i love how even the very first of couple ones where they would parody famous horror intros where like marge comes out and warns the audience like this is gonna be very violent mm-hmm. and to get the kids out of the room because it's and it's kind of it's a parody of the opening of the original frankenstein where you had the gentleman who plays the doctor in that who says like it might frighten you it might even horrify you that's well, right and it's like well we warned you and and I think they do a night gallery and a twilight zone. And there's a, there's an Alfred Hitchcock one with Homer and the belly and the kind of profile shot of Hitchcock, you know, from, I think, is that how Alfred Hitchcock presents maybe? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's awesome. Oh, Simpsons. That's what they, you know, they shine at that. Just the, the parody and, um, the callbacks, you know, Oh, for sure. And, like, there's a great Hitchcock um, parody of the birds where they left Maggie at a daycare center. And in her story, it's more like The Great Escape where she's like Steve McQueen trying to get out of this Ayn Rand um, Rand, um, daycare center. But when Homer goes to pick him up, he's just surrounded by a sea of babies and it's just them sucking on their pacifiers. And so it's meant to be like the end of the birds when they're trying to get into their car and leave. And so you just hear those noises and their footsteps as they slowly make their way through the sea of children to pick up Maggie and leave. It's a it's a very intense moment for a very funny show, and I, it's a fantastic parody of that movie. Yeah, that's great. I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, that makes... I'm sure there's a lot of those where they're just kind of, you know... It still functions as an episode, but they're kind of under the radar and sometimes in what they're parodying. Um or what the parody is, but yeah, that I'm going to, that's definitely going to be this month, something I revisit and watch those. Yeah. I mean, I can remember that. Ask me to remember all my family members, immediate family members birthdays. And I'll be like, finger guns. That's what I give you. <laughs> I can't remember that. But, yeah. uh, what is your next uh, choice, sir? So next up we have, uh, Tim Burton's sleepy hollow. Ah, very nice. Yeah, so from 1999, which is crazy. Like I revisited this recently, and um, the 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 effects and everything in this film really hold up very well. There's there's quite a bit of digital effects going on here, and this is late 90s, so we're still in somewhat primitive, you know, visual effects for the most part. And I think because of the way they color graded this movie and made it look kind of you know, very desaturated, almost black and white. Um, I know that Burton has said that this was like his take on like a hammer horror film, like the old hammer horror movies. Um, so he was going for that sort of aesthetic and yeah, this one, 
it's it's just a lot of fun. Um, it's the classic story again with Ichabod Crane going to Sleepy Hollow. Um, Johnny Depp plays Ichabod Crane, which is a little out of sort of uh, kind of a strange casting choice, but it makes sense for Burton because he just works with Johnny Depp in everything now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Ichabod Crane is, you know, in, in the story, the original story, like a lanky guy and kind of a, an unattractive uh, crane-like fellow. And I don't know if I'd say Johnny Depp fits that. Um, but that, of course, it's not really what they're going for with this. They're, they're, they definitely took some liberties with the original story, and you kind of have to. I, I believe the, the book itself is only like 40 pages. It's pretty short. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, just a lot of fun. The movie is... is um, it's got a lot of great action beats and some some good over the top sort of cheesy moments, but the cinematography and the score, especially the um, I believe it was is that a Hans Zimmer score? I can't remember. Uh, I'll look that up. I'm gonna look that up right now. I, I'm pretty sure it oh, is. No, it's Danny Elfman. It is Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. That's right. I don't know what I'm thinking. Yeah, Danny Elfman. So really awesome score, and yeah, just a good good classic Halloween movie as well. But I understand why you would say that is because they did, Burton and Elfman did have that falling out at one point, and that's why Elfman didn't score Ed Wood. That was Howard Shore. And I think this, I think this like around this time is when they kind of reconnected. And I think this is along with maybe Batman, my favorite Elfman score. Yeah, I, I listen to the music all the time for this one, and it it's like one of those rainy day soundtracks I always listen to. Um, just kind of puts you in that fall uh, sort of way of thinking, and um, yeah, I I think that it's it it's it's hard it's hard to adapt. I think Sleepy Hollow for for something like this, but I think Burton did a great job capturing sort of the essence of the original story, but bringing in so many of his own, you know, unique kind of characteristics and, and a lot of the design of the movie and just like all of the jack-o'-lanterns just feel like a, like a nightmare before Christmas type jack-o'-lantern throughout the film. The design of the, uh, the giant like tree, uh, tree of the dead, I think is what it's called in the movie. Um, just like the, all the design work and everything in the film is just super fantastic and, really feels like a Burton movie. Oh, for sure. And I love the fact that like, it does become a convoluted mystery that does yeah. amount to nothing at the end where it doesn't matter. It, like it, you, you go all the way around to realize, Oh no, it's just a simple revenge at this point. And Christopher Walken as the horseman. Oh um, yes. And he doesn't say a word. He just he just snarls. That's his entire performance, and it, it's still somehow a walk-in performance. And how he snarls, like Argh! it yeah. is, it is amusing to no end. And Casper Van Dien is actually really good in this as well as Brom. And I kind of feel bad what happens to him. Spoilers, everybody who've never seen it, um, because he's he's a very heroic person. This and and the fact that. Johnny Depp plays a very aloof um, Ichabod Crane that he's not – he, he's – if you think of Johnny Depp now, like he's a very heroic person, whether it be like 
uh, Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that, or like he's not a hero in the in like the traditional sense, but he can have heroic moments where his Ichabod Crane is doing everything in his chance to avoid conflict, yet he's forced to deal with the headless horsemen and the horrors that follow. Yeah, yeah, it's like you said, it kind of goes into that kind of convoluted mystery plot territory, but. It's just like I, I. It's one of those movies I don't really, you know, you don't take the plot super seriously. It's just kind of, you just kind of go along with it. And it actually has some pretty great scary moments. Like the witch in the woods was a really nice addition. Like that scene is, I say, it's probably the scariest scene in the film, in my opinion. Um, where they go out to the woods and they're like, I can't remember what, exactly what their quest is, but they're out. Um, and they go to t- to talk to her, and she, like her eyeballs like pop out of her head, and she like, um, I think she must feed them some sort of a plot point to move forward. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's a good and it's a good fun movie. It's just it's got that it's again it's just fill, filled with atmosphere. There's almost nothing like on that level budget wise, and you know in terms of like bigger like Hollywood movies that just sort of capture that. Um. You know, very unique Halloween vibes again. That's like, that's kind of my, um, for this list, like, really, I just picked my favorite, like, atmospheric film, you know, films that, ju- or, or episodes that just have great Halloween atmosphere. And this, I don't know, this, this one's probably at the top in terms of, like, bigger budget, like, studio films. Oh, for sure. And the fact that the blood is, it's a very unique color. It's that, like, it's like an off, Red, red. I don't yeah. know why. It, it, and granted, like the rest of the movie is very monochromatic in that regard, but mm-hmm. even that is kind of faded, but it still pops against the. It con- it's a nice contrast to everything else in the movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it really pops in that color correction. However, they handled that, and it, it kind of has a little bit of a cartoonish sort of vibe to it with the blood. It almost looks like uh, it's like really thick and kind of wax like. You know, um, like melted wax. Oh, um, for sure. But yeah, that's that's a must watch. I would say. Very nice. Um, for my next one, it is um, the Garfield Halloween special. Nice. See, this is one I have not seen. I, I'm gonna have to change that. Yeah, it is about Garfield and Odie going trick-or-treating and Garfield wanted to get the most candy possible and like they try to use a boat to try and cross this river to get to more houses, but how Odie mistakens the request of uh, Garfield and actually throws the oars out of the boat and so they drift over to this old mansion where there's these pirates and the other... and. Bloodos, Bloodos, and buried treasure, and everything, and it is very creepy, but also in a very fun way. And just the fact that um, Lorenzo music as Garfield's voice is perfect, and it is such a charming little piece of Halloween animation that I try to watch at least around this time of year. Yeah, I think I, I told you I, I had grown up with the Christmas special. We watched that every year as a kid, but. I don't know what it was. For some reason, we just missed the Halloween special, and I've seen clips from it. Um, I was actually recently I went. There's a there's a couple compilation videos on YouTube of like old 70s and 80s 
um, Halloween commercials. And there was one that came up for this specifically. And I was looking at it just thinking like, this would be like, this is right up my alley. I, I need to, I'm going to need to watch this one sometime here soon. So I love, I mean, Garfield's a classic show, you know, the it's, yeah, I don't, I mean the, the animation and everything, the, uh, the voices, as you said, just, just a great, you know, unique show once again. Definitely. And it, I mean, I think it's a perfect pair with a Charlie Brown and the great pumpkin. I think it's, it's, it's a perfect mm-hmm. pair. Like if you want to pair the two of them up with the, the, the peanuts Halloween special. Yeah, you'll be disappointed. I haven't seen that one either. And that's like, I know that one's like <gasps> revered. Uh, yeah. So I know. And, and I see everyone post images of the great pumpkin and talk about it. And I just, I'm just not, I'm just not there. I didn't grow up with it. So uh, I'm going to have to change that. Uh, I mean, I don't want to like shame you in any way because I feel <laughs> like if I do that, I'll put pressure on it and it won't live up to expectations. And so. I well, it's already it's, out there. It's like every you know, everyone talks about it. It's probably the most talked about television Halloween special. Um, I mean, wouldn't you say? I, I don't know what else would compare. I'm racking my brain to think of another one that's bigger, and you're probably right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when I'm thinking about the big holidays, you think of that. I, I think of also the Christmas special for the Peanuts or the and. And then you got Miracle on 34th Street. We're talking about Christmas, but it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. But like, it's kind of like when I showed Home Alone to a friend of mine when he was in his 20s that he didn't grow up with it. And so when he sh- saw it as an adult, he didn't get it. And he's, he's like, it's fine and everything, but I don't get the appeal. And I'm like, I guess it's just one of those things that if you watch numerous times as a kid, you don't have that uh, nostalgia for it. Right. Yeah, which plays a huge role in like, you know, a lot of the stuff on my list is is built around that, you know, especially with Halloween. There's something with, as we kind of talked about at the beginning of the show, just the, the, the childhood, you know, aspect of Halloween and um, just growing up with these things just, you know, really makes you feel nostalgic for when you go back and rewatch them, they just put you right back in that place of being a kid and, you know, you're going out trick or treating and I get it. Um, but yeah, it is hard sometimes to to try to tell someone that hasn't seen something you grew up with that you you just feel so connected to 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 fire it up as an adult and try to expect that same sort of response. Definitely, that's why. Like when somebody says that they haven't seen anything, I don't. I don't like like what's wrong with you. I I don't do that because <laughs> it, you're just putting pressure on it. And that's why so many people who say like, oh, you have to check this out. I immediately I'm resistant to that. Let yeah, me discover it on my own you. terms, and then I'll make up my own mind. That's why it took me years to get to Rick and Morty and so many other TV shows, and like Game of Thrones. Like I was like, and I did it quietly without anybody knowing it, so I could just kind of like <laughs> feel it out myself. And but also, what would I give in order to experience that again for the first time? Like I would love to see Psycho again for the first time, and so I mean, I would I would I envy that experience. Yeah, I'm with you. The same same thing for me. If I keep seeing just so much chatter with you know a specific show or something like same with Game of Thrones, I, I held off on watching it until like like season season five or something. I started started watching through, and I finally got caught up. And yeah, I don't know. There's something about us uh, us 
horror fans. I say that specifically because I think horror fans are kind of generally uh, kind of outsider type people for the most part. A lot of a lot of horror fans that I talk to are kind of the type of people that that grew up and didn't necessarily fit into a, a certain group of people and um, maybe had harder upbringings. But I, I feel like people like us kind of resist a lot of what it we, we like the the kind of other thing that that's maybe not so popular and and that, and that's where a lot of these like obscure old horror movies become really appealing to horror fans because they're not the thing that everyone's talking about they're not the big latest greatest you know marvel blockbuster or whatever um so i don't know i i definitely feel like when whenever you know, I hear something over and over again. It's like, okay. And maybe that's why I haven't seen like the great, you know, the great pumpkin. I don't, I don't know. It's so talked about and I know I should see it. Like there's no doubt, but it's just, I don't know. Maybe we'll change that this year. We'll see. (laughs) Well, if you do let me know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but uh, what is your next to essential Halloween viewing? So next I have, and I'm curious if you've seen this one, I've got the WNUF Halloween special. You heard of this one? No idea what that is. Okay, good. Okay, so it was made, I think, in I don't have. So I I'm just kind of going through these all out of my memory. Um, it was mainly pulled up here. It was made in 2013, uh, directed by Chris LaMartina, and it is a basically a it appears to be a Halloween special that was recorded from the TV in the eighties. So I know that when they released this originally, they put it out on VHS tape and rumor has it. They just kind of left VHS tapes everywhere for people to find. It's kind of like a gimmicky sort of um, release tactic to kind of get buzz going about it. Mm. But when you watch it, it feels like a, like very authentic 1980s TV special um, set on Halloween, um, and it's about this uh, reporter who is going into this old haunted house um, to do like a seance, and they're going to have like a call-in seance where people can call in, and um, it, it captures a lot of the sort of nostalgia tropes from the 1980s. But what's amazing about it is just how authentic it feels. There are like commercial breaks that it cuts to that are like really classic. Um, old school uh like there are even like fake movie commercials for like a, like a trailer for a film that's about to play like tim i think this would be right up your alley um but it's a lot of fun and um it's out on dvd now so you can grab it on dvd i think it's on amazon as well um mm. yeah it's it's just like the the detail to make it authentic and this is like a little indie film so but the the detail that was in you know put into it to create that authentic 80s recording vibe is like it's it's pretty amazing actually I, like i look at the commercials and just think like they made every single one of these and it's just uh it's a great and it, you know again it has great halloween atmosphere there's a lot of commercials about like you know pick up your your makeup kit and there's like some made up brand and it's got like an old school halloween makeup kit commercial stuff like that so that's a it's a really good one and what is the title of it again? It's called the WNUF Halloween Special. Okay. 
WNUF Halloween special. Okay, I will add it to the list. Yeah, it's great. Very curious. Um, It's got like a lot of great comedy. The the reporter, um, his name's Frank Stewart in the show, and he's the one kind of carrying the audience through this live broadcast going into this haunted house. Um, He's he brings a lot of like charm and comedy to it. He like interviews people, and there's it's it's like lighthearted, but then it's also got some kind of spookier parts towards the end, and. Um, it's one of those movies you could just pop on if you have like friends over because it's 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 almost like you're just watching old 1980s TV. You just fire up a a TV from the 80s and you have that on in the background and people can sit down and watch here and there. And it's it's uh, I haven't seen anything like it, so highly recommend. Very nice. I will be adding that to those because I am very curious about that. And didn't you have a similar idea of? shooting horror stuff on VHS technology again for something in the upcoming future. I don't know if I'm spoiling anything here. No, no, you're not. Yeah. I, I brought that up. I, I thought that would be, there, there are no like hardcore plans to do that just yet, but I, I feel like that would be a, a kind of a unique, um, YouTube channel where you could watch these horror shorts that are shot like actually shot on real VHS camcorders. So not shot on like a nice fancy new camera and then sort of, you know, compressed down to make it look like it was shot on VHS, but to, to take that challenge of using an actual VHS camcorder and filming, um, using that technology to make some horror shorts that feel authentically eighties. I just think that would be, I don't know, something fun to see. So we'll see that maybe something that we do at some point. Or, you know, maybe someone will hear this and take the idea and do a, do a better job. <laughs> uh, trademark uh, him. Uh, <laughs> trademark. Is, yeah, no, exactly. Honestly, I don't know if I'd ever get to that. So I, I, it would be fun. But if someone were to do it, I would watch the hell out of it. Nice, nice. Um, my next one uh, for Essential Halloween viewing is 2007's Trick or Treat. That is next on my list. Well, like, well, aren't I just uh, <laughs> just uh, great minds think alike? I guess it's right on the same uh, page. Yep. Um, so, for those who do not know, it is a horror anthology movie written and directed by Michael Doherty, and it tells the story of a, I guess, a childlike specter named Sam, who is a a creature with a burlap sack over his head and just going trick-or-treating and being involved in these other miscellaneous Halloween stories that goes on in this small town. And that involves, we have serial killers, we have undead children, we have werewolves, and it's a lot of fun. And it solves people like, we have Dylan uh, Baker, Anna Paquin, Brian Cox, so many big people are in it. And Michael Doherty, who pulls back around to um, Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, yeah he, he did Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And so there. And it is – there's so much Halloween memorabilia or paraphernalia in this. There's so many jack lanterns There's so many decorations. It's like – it's it's just so amber and orange in its tones. It's just like it – it's almost ta- like it's – you feel it coming off the screen for sure. Yeah, this one just drips with 
that atmosphere I always talk about. And um, probably more than, I mean, I know this is like a smaller movie than Sleepy Hollow. I said Sleepy Hollow had the most atmospheric, but it's just different. This feels like, this is like suburbia Halloween, you know, and it just captures that, the colors and the, um, the leaves and, you know, all the jack-o'-lanterns and everything. And it just, um, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's like the attention to detail that, that went into all of that is, I think, what makes this movie one that, like, the reason why I chose it for my list is, you know, I just, I love the story and I, and I do love the, the rat, the way that all the stories sort of interact with each other. I think that's super unique. Um, but it's, to me, it's like just putting it on. It's like you're watching just like a beautiful Halloween painting that's just in film format, just plays through and the visuals are just so just, you know, I don't know what else compares to it aside from another one. There, there is one more that's pretty close, but it's, it's a little different, but, uh, coming up on my list, but yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite parts about it. Definitely. And that it plays on horror, like Halloween tropes of like, um, always check your candy and, um, there's always that one house in the neighborhood that is kind of spooky and you should stay away from. And there's the the incident that happens in every town that nobody speaks about. And it just plays on those kind of things and does it in a very unique way. Um, and then you have sexy werewolves in there at, at one point. And, 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 <laughs> Marilyn and, Manson. And Marilyn Manson. And, and you're just like, like oh like this like I feel like all weirds kind of, I'm conf- conflicting emotions right now I don't know if I this should be like it's it's like it is erotic but it's horrifying at the same time like I don't know what to feel right now um so yeah it is something that's always in the rotation when it comes to uh a hot uh horror season in October for me yeah same here I mean. I see a lot of people seem to give this one some love now. I don't know if it was really understood when it first came out. From my understanding, I think this one had some issues with the release originally. Um, I don't I don't know if it actually did screen theatrically. It may have just been straight to video. But, yeah, it seems to have a pretty strong cult following now, and and rightfully so. I mean, it's like it's just a movie that's handled really well, and... Like I said, kind of the way that the stories all interact, it is an anthology, but it almost doesn't feel like it because we're just kind of guided through one story to the next in a very kind of smooth transition. We almost don't notice that we've been handed off to a new story, and then they all kind of interact with each other. And one of my favorite parts is in the the beginning we have um, the scene with the – I think he's the principal who is like burying a kid in his backyard, which is like like that one has like so much sort of dark humor to it. And then he he hears Brian Cox's character um, say something uh, through the fence. Um, he lives next door, and um, later in the movie we come back to that point. And I just thought I always found that to be really cool. At the very end of the film, we we come back to the perspective of Brian Cox um, looking out and seeing the principal kind of through the fence and what he's doing, and yeah, that. That's I haven't seen anything done that way before since this one. Me neither. And my friend Sarah has 
gone as Sam, like the kind of the mascot's movie. She's gone as him for Halloween a few times, and the fact that she's like nice. five foot nothing, and like she's like almost the perfect height for him, so it is it is like the perfect costume for her. And so I always associate this movie with her as well. But yeah, you're right, and like you're right, it's so seamless in the transitions from one story to another. It's not like. Bam, we have a title card that introduces the new story. We just kind of like the camera pans from left over to the right, and then all of a sudden, boom, we're into another story that was going on mm-hmm. simultaneously. Yep, yeah, and that's that's like smart, you know, it's smart uh, storytelling, and the structure of it is uh, it's just unique. I haven't seen anything quite like that, so... I hope that he does do a sequel. I know that there's been talk about a Trick or Treat 2 for a long time, I would love to see that, especially after like everything uh, Mike Doherty's done since since the first one, you know. Definitely, whether it be Krampus and Godzilla. But uh, what is your? I know this was like the next one on your list, but like, what is your next yep. one um, on your list as well? So the next one I have is a classic that I think probably everyone has seen, but it's Hocus Pocus. And, this is also on my list. <laughs> okay. So th- this is the one I referenced just before with uh, Halloween, the the suburban sort of Halloween setting and feeling. Um, this one and Trick or Treat are really kind of similar in that way. This one was shot, um, I think, primarily in Salem, Massachusetts. So it's going to have that real authentic Salem, you know, suburban vibe and um for me living out in utah like the old buildings and everything that that you see and the 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 style of the homes um that that are out in the east coast are something that we don't have so it just creates this entirely new magical sort of feeling about the movie and we all know the story um the sanderson sisters are the three witches who are um basically well, like put to their grave at the beginning of the film and they're brought back to life through our main character, Max, who lights the black flame candle, uh, which is such a cool idea, the black flame candle. Um, the witches come back and their goal is to suck the life out of all of the children in Salem, uh, which is such a dark idea, again, for a kid's movie. And this was made right around that time before um, everything kind of kids films kind of became much more neutered and sort of just safe. Like this had some dark, more darker ideas. And that's one of the things I really like about it. And I mean, there's just so much to say about Hocus Pocus. It'd be hard to sum it up, but it's, it's a very important movie to me. Yeah. It is much like I said before, this isn't a movie that my sisters and I enjoy. I remember at one point my, my sister got this cardboard box and I think the back of the VHS cover, it had like the the Sanderson spell book was like a picture on the back of the VHS cover. And she did like a nice. artist rendition of a uh, of the Sanderson sister spell book on this cardboard box. And she kept it for a very long time. And I agree. It is – it's kind of hard to se- separate this season and the the – holiday of Halloween from this movie to me because it's just so synonymous with it being because it's so much dripping in atmosphere for of this holiday where it's like oh having the these kind of um all those co- all those costumes and the deep the level of detail the production design is fantastic and the the party that um 
like the Max's girlfriend's like kind of uh, family's throwing at one point. It's like it's it's fantastic. It's like you want to go to that party because it looks like it's so much fun. Yeah, especially now as an adult, because like they kind of made that I think to look like a boring old party for kids, right? Because it's like everyone's all dressed up in these old school outfits and things, and then um, you know, very sort of posh looking party and like I don't know that. The, like you said, the attention to detail in that film, just everywhere you look, is just so beautiful. It's it's again like a painting that just is just playing in front of you. And I always look like if you watch it again, if you pay attention to the details of the like when they're out in in the neighborhood trick or treating, um, there are just like random pockets of like just green and orange light in like the background um, in between houses, and it just it, it kind of just creates this elevated. Halloween atmosphere that just feels very like whimsical and magical and it's it's kind of like what I think we remember as kids it may not be the actual reality but it's kind of this sort of heightened rea- this heightened memory of what Halloween is it's very smart I th- I feel like they they went bigger than what Halloween like if you look at what Halloween actually is with kids out trick or treating in a neighborhood um, you'll have some houses decorated here and there, but for the most part, probably most houses are not going to have decorations up. You know, it's just a random porch light. You know, but this movie, every house is just decked out. It's just colorful. Um, it's this this heightened version of of what Halloween is. It, it's what you'd want Halloween to be. Yeah, totally. And you'd hope like your neighborhood would like aspire to that, so you get, you try to capture that kind of those kind of feelings and that that um, feeling you get, or, or like the the vibe off of it. And apparently, one of my sister's like coworkers, like on the far east end of, of Long Island, like they throw a party that's similar to the party that they shown in this movie. Like they have a giant house, and it's like oh, they have a band at, and like all these houses on the block get together to do it together. And I'm like. Nice. Can I go? Can I go to this party? And I might be going with her. Just like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're coming with me. Where's my invite? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, uh, and I have, I may have the laziest costume this year. I may go as Fry from Futurama. That's how, like, because all I have to do is really nice. get a red jacket and spike my hair, and that's it. Um, it's that or Macklemore. That's the two things I'm kind of going with right now. Okay, nice. And that I, I just have to hit up a thrift shop, and that's all I have to do in order to be Macklemore for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think my wife and I are going as uh, Molly and Skull, wait, Scully and Mulder <laughs> from, from the <laughs> X Files. Um, we've talked about doing that forever, so I think that's what we're going to do. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I mean, dressing up—it's just one of the. Of course, it's just—it's that's what Halloween's about, man. It's just you know you get to create your own costume and go to that thrift store and find some cool stuff and put something together. And it just, you know, brings the whole world into sort of a creative way of thinking. And that's why I feel like it's just so different than any other holiday. It's, it's also a community holiday. It brings your community together and everyone's out trick or treating. And it's, it's just, uh, it's just a good time. Exactly. And what Hocus Pocus does is like it, it, it exemplifies those kind of feelings of like because the whole town gets into because they're in the Salem, Massachusetts, and they have the the parents' dance that's going on, and Bette Midler is chewing up the scenery. And as an audience <laughs> member, you love every second of it. Yep, 
Yep, she's great. All of the Sanderson sisters are great. And it's... Yeah, the acting is really good. It's just... It's just, I mean, it's almost like how can you even talk about Hocus Pocus without, you know, every, everyone's familiar with it, and it's it's just such an iconic movie at this point. It's always on the television. Um, I remember, you know, flipping through the channels as a kid. It was just always on, like, the 13 Nights of Halloween. Um, it would, they would do on uh, ABC Family. And, yeah, I mean, what more is there to say? Definitely. And, like, it has, like, one of this as a dirty joke that I never realized until I was an adult when they're asking the bus driver that they desire children. And he says, like, <laughs> well, it may take me a couple of tries, but I don't think it'll be a problem. And I'm like, yeah. wait, what? Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so great. And then the, uh, the yabos joke, <laughs> Mike like or Max likes your yabos. Yeah, it's, it's got like a lot of that kind of, and again, like you know, that's that's one of those things that you used to see a lot more in these '90s movies and TV shows, just sort of subtle innuendo or like just subtle jokes that like adults could see and still appreciate. And I think that that just broadens the audience because, like a kid, when I saw that, I had no idea what that meant, and it doesn't affect the plot at all. It's like you just kind of. You know, you just kind of keep you just keep going with it, keep watching it, and then the adults in the room can also see it and, and get a kick out of it as well. Right, and it doesn't talk down to the audience at any point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, and so moving on, um, my next one is an "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" episode. Is uh, the tale of laughing in the dark? Oh, nice. And for those who may not know, Are You Afraid of the Dark was an anthology horror show done by Nickelodeon. And this one, tailed Laughing in the Dark, is the second episode and deals with Zebo the Clown. And it's about a kid named Ouija. Yes, Ouija. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, I know, it's so strange. Where he goes, it goes into a... Uh, I believe it's just like a haunted house where in the, after hearing the story of uh, uh, Zebo the clown, the cigar smoking clown that died and they realize like, oh, you're like, I'm just going to, I mean, I forget what was it. He takes his, um, takes, oh, he finds a statue of Zebo in the haunted house and takes his nose. He's like, hey, I went in and I stole Zebo's nose. Like, there's no real thing to be worried about. It's just an old uh, scary story nothing can hurt you however he starts being haunted by zebo the clown and this may start my kind of like premature i guess fears of clowns and has to deal with it <laughs> and the fact that the clown follows him home and he smokes cigars in his house it is very uncomfortable and it is very spooky yeah yeah i remember there's like some sequences where you just see like cigar smoke kind of puffing um all around like just like little things that started to happen doesn't he find like a cigar somewhere in like like the microwave or something i want to say i can't quite remember i think so Um, somewhere in the kitchen i think he finds one yeah yeah that and as the second episode you know that's a strong like scary idea um I I love the that show. That was one of the key influences on doing my my own horror anthology, The Witching Season, and I just I, again I grew up with that show, so it's got a soft spot for me. But um, so many of the episodes are just 
just so great and unique, you know, and some of them have really sinister sort of endings to them as well, like really dark, trippy kind of ideas. Um, but yeah, Z- Zebo is like just a scary clown, you know, and the, um, they don't, they go through, they go into the old, uh, they're like at like a fair or something and they go into the, into the ride and that's where he found the, the nose. So he takes it out. Don't they have to like go back into it to like return it? Yeah. Like he took that totem and he has to return it and he, and he sweetens the pot by giving a, of a, a box of cigars to like, Hey, we're cool now. And I forget. I'm sure. I'm not sure if it like he gets zapped by Zebo by the end or something like that. I forget if that was a twist ending or not. Yeah, yeah. I can't quite remember that, but that's a great one. There, there. I don't know if there are any that are set on like on the holiday of Halloween in that show. Whereas Goosebumps, you know, we had the haunted mask, but um, you could watch just about any Are You Afraid of the Dark episode around Halloween time, and it would fit right in. Yeah, I mean, it was between this and the tale of the Midnight Madness, which it deals with Nosferatu, oh. and and it takes place in a the movie theater, and it's very spooky. It's very scary, but yeah, uh, that, this one that might be my out favorite. That may be my favorite episode. The the Midnight, uh, what is it called again? Midnight uh, Madness. Uh, Midnight Madness. Yeah, yeah. The clear like Nosferatu homage and. Um, yeah, that that's a great episode. Set in the movie theater too. That a lot of the episodes had really great settings. And I heard an interview with the creator DJ McHale, or I guess he's a co-creator. And I he mentioned that they, I believe they, um, they would kind of figure out what locations they had access to, and they'd kind of base and write the episodes around around what locations they, you know, they knew they could shoot in. Which is such smart, you know, filmmaking. Like I'm sure Tim, you encounter the same type of thing with your own projects just kind of trying to build stories around what you have access to on a, you know, on a independent filmmaking level. Oh, for sure. It's the, it's the, it's one of the biggest lessons that Robert Rodriguez has told to every independent filmmaker he's dealt with. Like, what do you have access to? Make a story about that. Yep. Yeah. It's good advice. Yeah. I mean, cause you think of it like for, are you afraid of dark year? You had a new set of cast every episode besides the storytellers themselves and a new setting every time. So I think it, it was smart to like, all right, let's find out where we can work in and then, okay, let's build a story around that. And so you can build the peaks and valleys of how the story's going to go. Sometimes mm-hmm. it works. Sometimes it's just like, it does end up with them running back and forth between these two sets the entire time. But other times like you don't feel it and it just, it works perfectly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a great show, and I'm curious about the new revival they have going on. There's like another mini series coming out soon. I don't know if you've seen much about that, but it's it, there was going to be a movie, but apparently that I think that's on hold or it's it may not be happening. I'm I'm not I'm not sure, but they've got like a new mini series coming out on Nickelodeon soon, so I'll be curious to check that out. Yeah, and so like I, I'm curious about that. I wonder what it's gonna, how it's gonna fare in today's day and age. I hope it like it'll still work and last. I mean, I'll give it if whenever it comes on, I'll give it a shot to see how if it, uh, if it's still broad enough to appeal to all ages or not. Yeah, same here. I hope they can pull off something similar, you know. And without, I, I feel like a lot of the time with this type of thing, they. Uh, 
for better or for worse, they sort of create it entirely for a new audience rather than, you know, I, I get it. Like it's still a, a kid's TV show, but so much of the audience that's kind of hinging on it is the existing fan base that grew up with it. And it would, it would be really cool to see someone do something like a revival of Are You Afraid of the Dark that is made for the audience that grew up with it. Um, I mean, I get it. I understand all the sort of the, the reasoning behind maybe not doing that, but it would just be really satisfying for the the fans of that, you know, that, that grew up with that to have basically a new, fresh content that's almost, you know, tries to capture that same spirit, but does it with, with us in mind more, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, I would hope that some of the original cast members or anybody who's who would willing want to work with them would come back and be involved with it somehow. But uh, what is your next uh, pick? So this is the final one I have on my list because I did have The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. But the, the other one I had here was um, a Disney Channel original movie, another one. But this is actually the very first Disney Channel original movie. It's called Under Wraps. Have you seen this one? No, I don't don't think I have. Okay, so this this one is again kind of another scary movie for kids. Um it is about a group of kids who uncover uh like an ancient sarcophagus and it's in the basement of this guy who recently um passed away. And they open it up and it turns out there's a mummy inside. And through the coincidence of a full moon and opening the, I don't know what the exact, there's, there's something to the, something about the full moon interacting with his body. Um, the light kind of comes in through the, the window of the basement and shines on his body. And he's got this necklace around his neck. It brings him back to life. So it's kind of about this group of kids and um, the mummy has until the end of Halloween night. Otherwise he like vanishes. Um, and the kids are kind of on a quest to, I believe they're trying to reunite him with, um, his long lost love, which, which is another mummy. Um, and it's in this other mummy is in a museum. So the, the plot's a little, you know, it gets a little kind of, it's a bit of a stretch, but it actually surprisingly kind of carries you through this, this pretty unique story that's actually, I would say, you know, kind of moving at times. And uh, there are lots of deeper themes about family and um, uh, and there's just, again, just great Halloween atmosphere in it. Um, the open, the film actually opens with uh, two of the kids, two of the main characters who are uh, in a movie theater watching an old like slasher movie and it's great because the movie opens and we're inside this like 1980s slasher movie called Warthead. I think it's like Warthead five or something. There's some <laughs> sequel <laughs> and it's like this, this uh, creature you get to see, he kind of breaks into this house and he's terrorizing this family and we cut out and we see that the kids are there watching the movie. And like, I just feel like that idea was like so ahead of its time because this movie was made, I think in 1997. Um, and, 
it's just it's just a great I, I don't know I, I still watch it to this day there's certainly a nostalgia factor going on that's probably a great reason as to why I like it so much but I feel like a, a modern audience now could still pull this movie up and watch it and have a good time with it especially if you're into Halloween and um, again captures that atmosphere really well it's not quite at the level of like hocus pocus but there there's some great scenes that just really drip with you know that the fog and the blue light and the halloween atmosphere that we all love very nice i mean i think that's the point of things that endure and nostalgia because you'd want to share it with people and you would hope that they would be able to see what you're seeing and like and become part of their tradition i think that's the point of this episode at least and so to see like get a glimpse of how we treat this month and especially this holiday that's coming up and that people would get on the bandwagon so yeah it's much like what you were saying before that horror community specifically is very communal because a lot of horror fans are outsiders and you would hope that even stuff like this that are not as well known would hopefully get rediscovered and become part of the vernacular of other uh, viewers going forward. Yeah, totally. I think something like this, you know, if people were to find it now, um, again, if any of your listeners haven't seen under wraps, I recommend it. It is on Amazon. Um, but I feel like it's, it's one of those movies that you, you could see now and having, you know, no real, information on it other than maybe a recommendation um it could still work for you and um yeah it's it's uh i I, it's one of those ones that again i grew up with but some of the themes and like some of the um the greater purpose i guess of the plot really does still resonate it's kind of timeless in that way well you would hope as a storyteller, you'd hope to achieve that, that even years beyond whenever you made something, it still resonates with an audience. And then it seems like this movie under wraps does the same thing for you. Yeah, definitely. And it's cool now to see so many of these older movies, like getting really good releases on Blu-ray and and DVD. And I, I hope some of these Disney channel films get something like that. If at all, you know, just a way for people to find them. Cause like, even though they are on Amazon, sometimes that's a little – you kind of need to know what you're looking for to find something like this. So so hopefully a list like this uh, you know, is helpful to some people. I would hope so too. And <laughs> the, the, the final entry on my list is uh, The Monster Squad. Very nice. Great movie. Yeah, and the fact that like, you know, it doesn't really take place in Halloween, but it's so – it's done with such reverence to the universal horror movies, but done in a eighties fashion. Um, I mean, you have Dracula, you have the Frankenstein's monster, you have the Wolfman, you have the Gilman and you like, it's become part of pop culture lexicon, like Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what was it? Uh, Dracula, calling a little girl a bitch to her face and snarling at her or <laughs> the t-shirt. I think it's Stephen King rules. And, oh, yeah. and, and like, my name is Francis and racking a shotgun. And Tom Noonan as the Frankenstein's monster, I think is my second favorite behind Boris Karloff's. And 
it, it, it's just like that's just the vibe of Fred Decker. I mean, like Fred Decker's got two very solid movies on Night of the Creeps and The Monster Squad, and I know he gets a lot of heat for RoboCop three and and being part of the Predator that came out last year. So I understand why people had like issues with him, but those two movies, especially The Monster Squad, is it is just. It's a movie about outsiders, and like it's a kind of like a running theme of this episode of people who enjoy the the macabre and those things that are not the usual part of conversation, and people who are movie freaks and talking about there are real monsters out in the world, and I think it's just a it's a really fun time, and the fact that it's like barely eighty minutes, I think it's a really fast movie, so it's one of those things that you can. You watch that and something else in one night, and not feel like you just you're spent by the end of the evening. Yeah, yeah, it moves pretty quick, and it just it's just a fun time. You know, you can. I feel like this one, it's it definitely like feels like an '80s movie when you go back and watch it. But and it, you know, there's that one scene with the uh, sort of that montage with that what what is it the the song that comes in um, as they're kind of preparing. I can't remember exactly what it is, but crap. Yeah, it's it's such an '80s song, but it's. I feel like this movie is one that was a little ahead of its time because I don't think it did very well in the box office. But something, and and maybe that's. I mean, Fred Decker back in the day, you know, like um, Night of the Creeps was kind of self-referential to the horror genre as well, and I think that he was a really smart filmmaker and like made some. Those two movies are—they really still—they—they they feel old, but they still hold up. They're still just such a blast. And and like you said, the monsters in in this movie, the actual design of of the monsters are—it's it's really remarkable what they pulled off. And um, and there's that that really great quote. If you remember, um, the little girl says something to the effect of mom says you have to let me in or it's prescription and then the kid's <laughs> like that's discrimination and he said prescription is drugs which you're on if you think you're getting in here whatever <laughs> it's, it's like it's lines like that are so so great um or yeah. when, or they think they have a virgin in order to do the spell and, and the fact that they find out that she is not a virgin but like but What's his name? He doesn't yeah. count. Doesn't count. Like this is not a conversation <laughs> yeah. they get to semantics right now. Yeah, 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 man. I, I don't know. I need to watch this one again. This is a great, a, a great pick for a Halloween movie, though. It's just a lot of fun, and it seems like many of these choices are like more lighthearted sort of movies. Like around Halloween time, it's just fun to put on like a you know a good a good time horror film, and this is definitely one of those. Oh, for sure. I mean, as much as I love horror movies, but I think I have to be in the right mood if I want to watch Hostel or something like that. Oh, yeah. Or The Devil's Rejects because, like, otherwise, like, it could be a really rough time. But, like, the majority of our list, this is just kind of, like, easy listening and easy watching, I should say. And so, and especially it's a, it's a, a holiday we covet. We want to enjoy it as much as possible. We don't want to stress ourselves in, in it too in too much and that's why a lot of these stuff is like it is more it's geared like it's to a younger audience so it, it's it's easier on the viewer 
Definitely. Yeah, Halloween's like a fun time to me. I, I see it as, you know, it's of course, there, it's a scary time. It's a spooky season, but I think for me, the thing that resonates the most is just the fun that I had as a kid. And it, it always kind of comes back to that sort of childhood experience and um, darker, more, well, I don't know. I think kind of more I mean, in many ways like the lighthearted stuff is the stuff I find myself gra- gravitating towards during the season oh for sure and I hope people um, for the listeners who have listened on like chime in I want to know like reach out on Twitter and everything what your kind of viewings are and I hope if you check out these ones that we mentioned that you've not seen before we'd love to know how you feel about it but uh, Michael, I want to say thank you for taking time out of your evening to talk about your essential Halloween viewings. Hey, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is this is my season, so I, I was, it was fitting, I think, to come on at this time, and I know it took a while to get get this worked out, but, yeah, I appreciate you asking me to come on here. Of course, and I hope to have you back on again in the near future to talk about your future they live inside us and dive really deep into the wishing season in general i know talking about like your own work and everything that can be kind of uncomfortable for you but i feel like there will be i can i won't press you or anything and be like so how'd you do this i'm not going to be too demanding in that way i'll ease you into it for sure oh no worries yeah i just i don't know i don't i don't love talking about myself but i enjoy if there's something i can talk about like a subject then I feel like I can open up a little bit more and talking about Halloween movies was a great, a great start here. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back and talk a little bit more about they live inside us or, you know, the witching season and kind of the process we went through to, to get those made. And for those who do not know, have not seen the work you've done, where can people find you on social media and your YouTube channel? So the YouTube channel is uh, just youtube.com slash witching season films. And then you can follow me on Instagram, just at Witching Season Films as well. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. So yeah, hit us up if you want to see any of our any of our work. Um, the Witching Season is on Amazon Prime. And then of course our first feature length movie. This is my first feature as a director. is called They Live Inside Us. Um, we are just finishing that one up right now, and then that should be coming out sometime here in the near future. Um, planning on hitting up some film festivals in the next few months and. Um, kind of seeing what happens there so yeah it's all kind of halloween centric viewing for the most part so if you're into halloween you like that kind of thing uh check it out very nice and as a fan i highly recommend it it is a lot of fun and even if for those who are able to get a chance the blu-ray the special features that you put up on that are on the blu-ray and then on the youtube channel they're actually very informative and really cool stuff for sure Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. I think we met because of the witching season. I don't. I. I believe that was. I don't know. It seems like that's what it was. Do you remember? Yeah, I. Because I, I think. Um, I think we had. I think you had commented on something, or no, like you, you respond to a comment, and I am, which is just the kind of friendship that kind of built out afterwards, out of that, and then the the Facebook messenger chat that's been going on since that we became friends on social media. <laughs> Yeah, man. So it's good to finally chat with you here and in real time. And uh, yeah, again, I really appreciate you inviting me on. It's been awesome. 
Of course. And for those who want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyRudy2. Um, my other podcast, please rewind the RF four RM retro show where I talk about movies when it comes to their anniversaries. Uh, we're also doing a month of horror movies right now. We have, by the time you hear this episode, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre review will be up and it'll be followed by Saw. And this previous episode to this show was our Nightmare on Elm Street with my other friend, Mike, and we do a deep dive on that movie. And if you want to support, uh, my filmmaking endeavors, you can go to my channel, uh, Through the Lens Productions, where my short film, Jack, uh, just passed 26,000 views. And so you can just go nice, for – Thank you. Uh, you can just go search Jack, My Annabelle Creation, Through the Lens Productions. You'll find that. And if you want to help support the show, subscribe to it and leave us a five-star and written review on iTunes. It really helps get the word out. Uh, Mike, thank you for taking so much time and night to talk Halloween with me. Hey, thanks for having me, man. All right. Come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture, especially around this time. It'll be horror movies, and we'll speak to you soon.